Alright, we're going left. Hey guys, Steve here. Potent Phonics. Today we're gonna to talk about gr 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 growing with fishes. Growing with fishes. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Growing with Fishes podcast. It's episode 301. We just had our awesome 300 episode and I'm definitely looking forward to uh, today's episode as well. We have, uh, I'm your host, Steve from Potent Ponics, and today we have uh, Rob Bob from Rob Bob Aquaponics and Backyard Farming. How's it going? Thanks for joining us all the way from Australia. He's in the future. He's in Friday. It's looking just as bad as yesterday. <laughs> uh, what's up, Wes? We also have Wes Engine. What's your go on, rude boy? What you say, man? <laughs> uh, Wes and I are going to be starting a new show here soon, uh, maybe on a Wednesday or two. Uh, uh, stay tuned for more details. Um, uh, I guess the first programming note. Um, second of all, um, why is my mouse... Having all kinds of problems today. You guys have no idea. The stream completely crashed. Um, all right, here we go. Let me do the quick beginning of the show rundown. Um, you can get your tickets to my silly the festival, August 19th, 20th, and 21st, uh, up in Washington. Uh, I'll be there speaking with Chris Trump, um, Cass Posey, who uh, was on the show a couple weeks ago, uh, Dustin Powers, Matt Powers, um, whole bunch of, of amazing people There's a whole lot more people than that uh i don't think she's released the final schedule to the public but um i've got a chance to see it and it's it's quite amazing she's got a bunch of cool videos coming out that's going to be a good time and also have the our supernatural conference i'll be speaking of that as well that's the last weekend of july um that's also um uh, uh going to be a wonderful time we have a uh, the workshop uh with uh susan wainwright on um uh, May, I'm sorry, August 1st, it looks like, at uh, Synergy Hashco. Um, and um, we're going to have all kinds of cool stuff uh, as well. They have the three days worth of talks and a whole bunch of other things. They have the after party, Ace of Ace, and that'll be in Oklahoma City. Definitely come check that out if you're able to. Uh, it's going to be a good time. Uh, I'll definitely have some goodies to hand out. Um, we also have Melting of the Heads. Uh, if you guys are up in Washington State or Oregon or up in the Northwest, go check out Josh's uh, awesome hash event this weekend. There's a whole bunch of cool people there. Um, you can see there's a, you know, Ra uh, Kaya. He's freaking awesome, dude. Um, and Nick Mahmood. You got Masonic. You got um, all kinds of wonderful people up there. Um, Josh Justinsland, big fr uh, fan a friend of the show. So going to be a great time. And uh, definitely want to do that. Uh, you know, got Jameson and Josh, both of them been on the show quite a bit. So I'm definitely excited. And we also have the uh, aquaponic cannabis class, apmjclass.com. Marty and I put that together. Uh, always a good time uh, to work with students from that class. We've had quite a few successful students start farms. Um, we have quite a bit of new content that we're still uploading uh, uh, from the latest batch. We do add new content, uh, usually one to 200 slides at a time um and large batches on top of the existing content so be sure to check that out um we also have the all new uh, pest control class at thepestclass.com uh, if you're looking for just a living soil and aquaponic pest control course 
that covers all the various biocontrols and beneficial insects along with release guides and application guides and other things like that. It's really a cool course. And I'll also be adding to that more as well. Uh, I want to start doing some product uh, content uh, on that. So definitely check that out. And if you check out today's guest, you can check him out on Instagram at bits underscore out underscore the underscore back um, on Instagram. If you listen to this in audio format. And then also over at um, uh, Rob uh, bits out the back.com. Uh, same, same thing without the underscores. Uh, or you can check him out at Rob Bob Aquaponics uh, and you can find his courses there. Um, there's quite a few different things, especially for beginners and, and starting off your system in your backyard. He's got a wonderful bunch of different guides there. So uh, definitely check that out. We'll have links to all that stuff in the description as well. Um, if, if you can find uh, currently as uh, if you're watching live is uh, with us and you can check him out at Rob Bob's Aquaponics and Backyard Farm. Uh, on uh, youtube he has a huge huge following uh, a ton of wonderful videos we recently did a video together on on dual root zone definitely check that out he's got a ton of great videos on how to grow you know water chestnuts and um, ginger and um, garlic and all kinds of cool stuff so um, definitely go check him out uh, if you're uh, interested in uh, learning about that kind of stuff especially if you're looking to start off your garden he's definitely one of the best channels out there on the internet for a whole bunch of just how to get started guides, um, for sure. Thanks. Well, thanks for joining us today. Uh, how is it there in Australia this time of year? I know it's uh, a winter time there. Yeah, it's winter. Uh, it's balmy seven degrees this morning. So I think that's, um, I don't know, in the low 30s. Um, I can do a quick, quick look up. Um, yeah, no, it's, we have very mild uh, winters where we are here, uh, particularly. So we can pretty much all grow 12 months a year. Um, there's not many crops we can't grow through our winter. I mean, even, you know, things like capsicums, uh, peppers, chilies, sweet peppers. Um, even I have a mate who grows zucchini or courgettes all the way through um, winter here in our locale anyway. So, yeah, we, we get it pretty easy where we are weather-wise, especially for winter. Um, <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was a uh, it was a frigid uh, uh, thirty eight or thirty nine C today. Oh, okay. So we got um, <laughs> what, it was about 44, 44.6 Fahrenheit. Trusty phone. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's that's. I think we've had probably about four hours this year under freezing. So yeah, we get it real easy. No frost either, just because of the fences and the way we're positioned. Neighbors get it, but we get nothing on our block. So yeah, it's pretty sweet. <laughs> So uh, what are what is some of the new content that you've been working on? I know you have a, for those of you guys that, that aren't aware, he has just a ludicrous amount of, of great content over on his channel. He has a, a huge library going back. How many years have been you doing your channel? You've been doing it a long time. Uh, yeah, the, the channel I started in 2011 uh, with our youngest daughter doing her interpretation of um, rain on a djembe. Um, that was the first video, and then it sort of went into gardening. Um 2011, yeah, on on YouTube, uh, basically, I just started throwing videos up there for friends and family in the state. I was on a frugal living website. They wanted to know these weird wicking beds and different bits and pieces I was using in the backyard to grow the food. I was writing their gardening blog for the website there too. And um, yeah, YouTube was just a lot easier just to talk rather than use my um, pretty poor grammar and spelling on blogs. So content-wise, I've been posting online probably since about 2006 but yeah youtube pretty much all from 2011 so stop eating the jacket dog sorry 
Yeah. Yeah. He's got a cute little puppy there too. Uh, Jackie boy. <clears throat> Brand new puppy. Cutie. Yeah, he's a um, stumpy tail cattle dog or Smithfield cattle dog crossed with our border collie. Uh, they're born with stumpy tails, so he's only got this little little bud on the end. Come on. There we go. Just a little stumpy tail. So. It's like a cutie. He yep. fends off all of the, the different dangerous creatures that try to kill you every day in Australia, right? Yeah, he hasn't found cane toads yet. Uh, that's 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 the one we worry about. Our first, um, we had a red cattle dog, Bunny. Uh, we saved her from dog fighters. And um, she had a uh, penchant for licking toads and um, zoning out in the corner of the room for like three or four hours after a good hit. So, yeah, hopefully this guy doesn't find them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you never know. That's one, I, well, I guess, another big danger there, aside from all the the snakes yeah. and the... Yeah, snakes aren't that bad. I mean, we, we get a couple of eastern browns in our yard through summer, or before we did the landscaping. Um, they're, they're about the most venomous ones around. Um, but, yeah, we see mainly carpet snakes and things like that, and they look after rats and small possums. So, yeah, live, I can carpet. live with those guys. Carpet pythons are beautiful, especially some of the sub-variants. Yeah, oh, we we just see the um um just the basic carpets. They all look fairly fairly same designs. I did have a friend who um kept some hypers and things like that for a little while, but yeah, yeah, we get the just the the coastal carpets. I think they're called. You guys um have them in the pet trade over there from memory. We also we used to keep the little spotted pythons, uh, the children's pythons as well, until we um yeah ended up getting kids and dogs and other things. So. What, uh, what about uh, garden monsters? Is there anything that's kind of more uniquely bad in, in Australia insect-wise? No, insect-wise, fruit fly, Queensland fruit fly. And I've seen that uh, a couple of people have said they've started to see it around the world now. I don't know if they're just confusing it with different fruit fly, but a viewer from Florida said that um, she'd seen it there. I don't know if it's our Queensland variety. Um, but they're, they're pretty much all the worst. Our uh, tomatoes, um, sweet peppers, capsicums, mangoes, anything fruiting. Even the blueberries, one year I got some really good vision of a blueberry absolutely full of the maggots from the Queensland fruit fly. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're a massive pest for us here. Uh, our, the problem, main problem is, I can't really, I don't know if you can see it or we can try. Um, our neighbours over there um, in the middle of the, that little um, cutout there, that's a massive mango tree. Um, they're around pretty much all every second or third house here. And they're the, what they call the turpentine mangoes, the old stringy ones. They're good for pickles and things like that, but people just um, let them drop and rot, which encourages the fruit flies. So then we just end up with plague proportions of them. Same as locusts, a lot of locust trees locally for some reason. And um, yeah, people just let the fruit drop and rot and we end up being smashed by the fruit fly because of it. So they're pretty much all our worst pests. I mean, other than the cabbage butterfly, which you guys get, we get cluster um, caterpillars as well. Um, the, the mother lays anywhere up to a thousand eggs at a time and strip a brassica overnight uh, once they get a bit of size to them. But yeah, other than that, we're, we're pretty lucky, really. The odd locust plague and the possums might come through every now and then. But yeah, you guys, I, I know, have problems with raccoons and possums over there with fruit, don't you? Yeah, um, sometimes raccoons a little bit if you have a lot of fruit, especially. Um, but usually, you know, I have usually we have dogs. So if you have a dog in the yard or whatever, they're usually just not interested in trying to raid it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, we, 
Well, with our first, all well, we've had uh, two dogs before, Jackie Boy, and um, yeah, they pretty much all stayed out of the yard, same as all the feral cats as well. Um, it's only just been in the last probably six to eight months we've started to get the possums in. Um, again, seeing them walk around the backyard from going from bed to bed. So I had a papaya down the back there that they were feasting on continuously. So, yeah, but hopefully Jack will fix all that once he scents around a bit. So, <laughs> are uh, possums? Um... Uh, they're native to there, right? I know a lot of people. I know they're yeah, a big pest, yeah. though. Yeah. yeah, we get um, we get. There's two major varieties. Uh, we get a ringtail possum. It's a little brown one, uh, really good for activating the compost when they're roadkill. And we get the big brush tail ones. They got a big brushy tail, black one. Um, the tail's like that. Looks like a bottle brush. Uh, we get them. They they pretty much all decimate the top section of the mango tree every year. Whatever we don't bag up, and then we get the uh the flying foxes or fruit bats. Uh, they come in and also smash through the mangoes as well. So, but yeah, the, the tree always gives us so many. We, you know, we don't really worry about them. And we, we harvest from the bottom and they can have what's up top. Let the natives have a feast. So you have a lot of different um, uh, crops that you're growing. Uh, what kind of different crops are you currently growing in your aquaponics system? You yeah, always at the do moment, a different variety. At the moment, uh, potatoes. I'm really keen to be able to grow our own potatoes again. Uh, just using that uh, dual root zone wicking bag um, idea. It's really good getting that, um, getting them back in the yard. I've always had really dismal results uh, growing in, uh, well, most varieties growing in wicking beds and wicking barrels, which we tend to grow using this system. Um, the reason we do, just quickly, uh, we have really bad problems like many people in suburbia with root intrusion into our garden beds. So that's why I went to wicking beds along with the fact that we had water restrictions when we set up our garden. We could water one day a week, I think it was, due to drought. Um, so I set up the wicking bed, so you just fill them up one day a week. Um, so yeah, we, I never had much luck with potatoes except for the purple Congo in the wicking beds. Threw them in the pouches and they did well. Threw the pouches in the aquaponics and they did even better. Uh, so um, doing a fair few of them this season. Also things like um, mushroom herb. I don't know if you guys get it in the States. It's uh, native to Papua New Guinea. Um, and it's a really nice little green. It actually tastes very fungusy uh, like mushroom. Um, you need a fair bit of it for the flavor to come through a salad or something like that, but it's a bit of a novelty. We've got a corner of that uh, in one of the grow beds at the moment. And other than that, I'm just trying to pump through as many brassicas as we can while it's cool, because otherwise they just tend to bolt uh, fairly quickly. Things like um, through summer, the cauliflower and broccoli tend to bolt really well. I'll fast, basically going straight to flower and seed. Um, smaller things like the wombok cabbage and the small little compact cabbages, head cabbages and bok choy, we can pretty much all churn through through summer. Uh, they don't tend to bolt. They're just so fast growing that it's not really an issue. And other than that, I've been lazy and left some, um, what have we got in there? We've got the aloe vera. It's still powering along. I've got some ho and knock, uh, which is a Vietnamese uh, herb, green, salad green, uh, also medicinal. I've got the old ahe amarillo in there. Still can't bring himself to pull her out. She's been going close to two years now, uh, chili. And yeah, just the classic herbs, the thyme, the chives, garlic chives or uh, oregano. So... Yeah, I, I really need to get some more, uh, what is it, um, Okinawan spinach in there. So it always flies along really, really well in the aquaponics. That's the one. 
it's it's a really nice plant. I'd recommend anyone who's in a, a warmer area to have a crack at it. And it does phenomenally well in the aquaponics. So, oh, and water chestnuts. Um, that's another one that I think I'll be doing again in the aquaponics again, uh, but uh, dual root zone this time or soil-based um, pouch. I just think I'm um, just looking at the soil, uh, the soil container we grew this year. I got some really nice large corms out of that, still haven't harvested it. So I'll be looking at doing them in the, um, the, the wicking pouch method next season. So, but yeah, it's pretty boring at the moment. Not a lot's coming out of the system other than the herbs and the, uh, the bok choy. So I'm looking at doing actually, you asked before about uh, trials for videos. Um, um, or videos I'm going to do, I'm going to be doing some trials. Uh, I've got some bok choy aside, some seedlings. I'm going to do soil in just a root pouch next to a cracky, uh, just a little cracky tub uh, with the hydro nutrients. I still haven't bought the hydro nutrients. I was using an Australian made organic variety or organic variety and um, aquaponics and do a trial between the three of them. But I've had, um, I found my stash of um, urine uh, from about two years ago. So I'm looking at doing a peaponics trial again as well. I've, I've grown with peaponics before, absolutely phenomenal growth rates out of greens, chards and things like that. And um, a few people keep at me about, you know, they want to grow organically and they can't afford hydroponics and they can't use fish. Well, you know, might as well use your own pea as far as I'm concerned, if you can. Um, so looking at doing a, um, a peaponics system as well. So there are a couple of videos. Also got other videos like, People keep hassling me. What additives do I put to the system? A few there you disagree with, I know, Steve, but that's okay. Um, also looking at doing a biofilter uh, video as well because a lot of people are really interested in building systems without media, uh, mainly because everyone wants to grow with um, the clay because it's easy to grow with, but the prices here in Australia at the moment are just through the roof. Now dollars dropped another um, four or five cents. So things just keep getting more expensive. So a lot of people looking at growing through DWC and NFT. Um, so looking at doing a biofilter video for those guys, uh, a basic setup, um, solid settler, radial flow settler, uh, biofilter, and then some sort of fine solid particulate filter, and then incorporating a mineralization tank on the side uh, so they can reintroduce those um, uh, mineral rich water back through the system. So. They're the plans. Plus, I just went, I made the silly mistake of um, asking people on YouTube uh, where my contact had uh, content had holes and was lacking. Got a load of um, responses, was going through it before I hopped on here today. So I think I've got enough videos for the next four or five years. You know, um, I, t I tend to go a little bit over the top with them, not just sit in front of the, the um, screen and just rattle off the information like a couple of channels do, mainly because I've seen just through the um, algorithm, if you want to get a little bit nerdy. People, once they see someone just sitting there for two, three minutes, they just switch off. Um, so I tend to get try and swap the scenery around or something else new coming on the screen every um, 30 seconds maximum. And it tends to get people to watch more um, because the amount of times you, you spend hours and hours doing a video and then the first question will be something you talked about five minutes in, but they've just clicked off before they've even got to it. Um, so... Yeah, I try, I'm trying to make more engaging content. So um, these ideas have given me a little, a few more, the, the responses I've got have given me a few more ideas on where I can go a little bit more in depth for people. Plus I get new course material out of it as well, which helps to pay the bills because YouTube doesn't. Um, so yeah, that's always good. 
Yeah, you want to tell everybody about that? I'll throw that up on the screen here real quick. Uh, the course, yeah, it's it's basically a lot of the videos. Um, if you people are familiar with my content, they do come from the YouTube channel, uh, but they've been expanded on for the courses. Um, the courses actually give you a. Um, um, actually, if you allow me to share my screen, I can sure. bring yeah. it up and. Um, he says that, but first he has to set it all up. Here we go. Um, yeah, it's basically um, a lot of my videos, but they've transcribed them um, virtually using the same sort of technology. Oh, I don't want to buy it. I already own it. Um, you should be able to, to screen share now. Not a problem. I'll just sign in before I do that. Um, Password is. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't think so. Here we go. Just make sure we're on the. There we go. So they're they're actually in the process of um, setting up a uh, community style um, membership over there as well, so I can try and get all my all my um. um eggs in one basket, so to speak. Um, the, the guide itself is, uh, where are we? Here we go. Um, oops, close questions. Yeah, people, actually, I can do this. Hope he doesn't mind me um, sharing this. But people can ask me questions um, over there through the guide as well. They get two free questions and um, then I can respond. I can actually film videos and respond to them. Um, so, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, viewer, hang on, my guides. Sorry, I'm trying to get out of there. I don't know how to work it too well. Um, yeah, I, I answer questions over there. First two are free, and I'm a little bit lazy at um, responding to, um, sorry, closing off the questions. So I like to keep them open. I really don't like charging people money for um, stuff that I can help them with. Um, on a one-to-one -one basis if they're just basic answers, uh, questions they ask. Um, but the actual guide itself, I'm just rambling on here. Um, try and, there we go. They're just muted. It's um, closed captions. So it comes through in English, Portuguese, Spanish. Uh, there's a transcript that you can follow along with. And then you just, if you read something in the transcript, you're really interested in you can just click on it it takes you exactly to that spot you get rid of the uh, um, transcription there and you can just jump to different sections on it or you can just go um, straight to the search inquiry you can do via microphone or type um, uh, there we go just fix my spelling mistakes And it just takes you to um, different sections where it's mentioned within the guide. Um, uh, the responses are all down. Oh, support as well. Oh, so, okay, you can see them. Maybe I can see them because that's where I've helped people with them. Uh, but go to different sections within the videos and that helps you out. And the other thing, if the people aren't English speaking, um, you can actually do, if I can work out how to do it, um, you can actually, here we go, Spanish. 
So you can actually, um, it's transcribed uh, verbally as well. So you can read along in Portuguese and listen to me in Spanish. I don't know if you can hear that at all. Is that coming through? Yep. Okay. Anyway, someone is speaking no, Spanish well, there. So. Yeah, if you screen, well, you'd have to close your screen share, but if uh, when you reload your screen share, uh, it'll have two checkboxes at the bottom. If you check that, okay. they can hear the audio. Yeah, but the audios, you take my word for it, the audios is transcribed audio into Spanish, Portuguese, and all those languages as well. So basically what it does is it makes my content extremely searchable. Um, there's added things in there, like with the, where are we? The, um, yeah, so it goes through building systems and all the rest of it, um, basic components you can make. You can also download a couple of bits and pieces. Quickly download this, bring it up. I've actually gone in, created downloads that will make it a lot easier for people to work along with the videos. There's a lot more content, having Raf playing coming overhead, a lot more content in there, um, going through explanations, what things are. I just wait for this plane to go overhead. Coming for his crops. Yeah. <laughs> no, <I'm just> kidding. <laughs> yeah. No, we, we're in the flight path of the local Air Force base. So, yeah, I go through um, with the PDFs that people can download. I go through a lot greater um, explanation into why I've done things, the materials I've used, um, alternate ways to do things. Uh, the Bell Siphon one, I've got a few different ways you can set up Bell Siphons. I mean, how to use solvents, alternate ways to um, connect pipe work, um, explanations for that. So just basically trying to make um, greater value. The idea being is a lot of people who bought the guide um, they knew it was an online guide, um, but they only have internet at home. Um, they live out bush somewhere. A lot of them, actually, most of them from America. I always thought you guys had better internet than us. Uh, and they wanted ways to download the content so they could use it at home because everything on the guide itself is AI driven within the, um, the retrieved website. So these downloads, the PDFs actually give them stuff they can go through at home and they can do exactly what they see in the videos um, from the PDF and make whatever component or learn about cycling or whatever. So at the moment, I've only got two finished and polished up to the site, and that's the Bell Siphon and how to make a chop and flip system. I'm working on the basic filter system, and they'll be offered as a standalone guide on another website, on one my supporters' website down the line as well for people who just want that and they don't want to have to buy the guide. So, yeah, um, that's pretty much what it is. Um, I... I personally think is pretty um, great value for money. I wish it was there before I created my first system uh, because my first system was a, a, it looked like a crack and it had hoses coming out of everywhere, one to every individual bed, one inch hose, because that's what someone on a forum told me all you needed to feed a bed through gravity. Learned the hard way that wasn't right. Um, bits of pipe coming on, separate overflows off every bed and fish tank. And it was just listening to too many people in forums and getting the experts take on it. it yeah, it's, it's a lot easier if you just have something you can look at and follow through either in video or um, just for a PDF style setup. So that was the aim, aim behind it. Plus helps me pay the bills and um, create content because there's, and when basically my eldest daughter's in grade 12, she's graduating this year. And once she's out of um, home, there is no reason at all for me to be doing YouTube as a full-time job. I should go out and get a proper paying job. So I've got to make it uh, pay the bills or that's what I'll have to be doing next year. So that's basically the idea behind the guide. Oh, and there's new ones coming too. I'm doing a, um, 
a chop and uh, not a chop and flip, doing a split flow and a um, single loop uh, build using the same three IBCs because it's basically cool. the three the same system, just plumbed up different ways. Um, so I'll be doing that as a two for one guide. Um, and if we end up staying here and not selling up, I'll also be doing running an aquaponic system using um, one of those designs um, for a 12 month period, just to show people what to expect. Because a lot of people don't understand once they start a system and they start throwing fish food in, I've got a couple of people asking me this question this week. Uh, they're wondering why their plants aren't growing and why they've got no nitrates and everything's looking yellow. And they're, but they're putting in those three tablespoons of fish food a day, you know, for the fingerlings. So uh, it'd be good to actually run a guide or run a series of videos and actually go from woe to harvest, like uh, from start to finish, um, you know, cycling to harvesting your first fish type thing in a series. Oh, and by the way, I'm not just, this content just isn't going to the guide. The guide is getting the in-depth version. YouTube, all the videos will be still free to watch on YouTube. They'll just be a cut down basic version. Anyone with DIY basic skills will see it and go, ah, that's why he's done that and be able to do it themselves. The guide's pretty much all for those people who need that little bit of extra help along the way. I mean, a lot of people didn't even know what a jigsaw was when uh, I did my first video and they were wondering, I think you guys call it something else, a scroll saw or something over in the States. I'm not too sure, but yeah, little, in, you know, little discrepancies between the language between different areas. Um, it helps if I have the guide for those people who need it and other people can just put two and two together straight away on YouTube. So, yes. A little bit, little bit difference in the swear words too when you cut your finger with that skill of jigsaw, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I don't know. I think one of our favorite words at the moment is sort of spread around the world. So, uh, yeah. um, I, I think uh, there's um, stickers you can get here in, the, uh, in, in Australia. We have a uh, territory called the Northern Territory. And a series of stickers with CU in the NT. And a lot of people were wearing them as face masks during the mandatory lockdowns as well. So, yeah. uh, so uh, speaking of which, what are some of the most common questions that you get or, or common things that you see people get, do wrong that they then have to kind of fix after the fact? Um, okay. The number one has actually died down a bit. So I don't know if it was content that was um, published online or not was I put fish in the system four months in, they're starting to die. What am I doing wrong? And then, you, are, you know, you go through the, I've, I've learned now to ask how many fish are in the system and how many grow beds have you got? Um, and nine times out of 10, they, they've read somewhere or seen a video that you can just throw a hundred fish in an IBC. And once they start to hit that three or four months mark, they've realized that one grow bed, which is an IBC, just the top. So you're looking at what? Um, 300 litres, um, what's that, about 80 gallons, I think, um, worth of biofiltration and their fish start dropping off and they don't know why. Um, that, that was the number one there for a while. I don't see it as much. Uh, the other one is, like I was saying before, I've got all these fish in there, it's system cycled, but my plants are all yellow. Um, they're, they're just not performing. Aquaponics is supposed to be this wonderful, sustainable way to grow and my plants are dying. And it's just the fact that they've, they've seen people online and grow beds full of plants and they haven't they haven't picked up on the fact that you need that nutrient load to grow within the system and they plant it out with a load of tomatoes or um, brassicas or whatever there's just not enough nutrients in there so um, that that would be another popular um, issue at the moment um, yeah and and just plumbing rates people not understanding the the um, um, that you need 
any flow rate over probably about, I hope this is right, about 350 gallons an hour or 1500 liters an hour, you're really a good idea to go with a two inch pipe. I mean, you can get away with an inch and a half, uh, 40 mil or 50 mil for you Aussies or British. Um, you can get away with an inch and a half, but nine times out of 10, if you really like aquaponics, you're only going to increase flow rates and build add-ons and all the rest of it. So you might as well go for the two inch straight away. It's easy enough to clean. You just get one of those little, um, I don't know what they call them, scrubbies over here, those little bath sponges made out of nylon. You stick that onto a piece of cord. You send the cord down your pipeline. You pull that through. If there's any buildup, that pretty much all cleans it out. And you need to do that probably once or twice a year um, if your flow rate isn't high enough. Um, but yeah, small pipe diameters would probably be the next one. Um, but number one is just not enough biofiltration. Um, people just thinking that they can throw a couple of grow beds on and away they go. Solids, actually solids accumulation, I'm starting to get people say that they're, they're starting to get, when they dig through the beds, they're getting funny smells. Um, and that's basically anaerobic spots. I mean, you guys know that. And after a few more questions, you generally find out that they've had a tomato growing in there for over 12 months or something. And the, the root mass has just started to take over the bed and they're getting a few anaerobic issues. Generally not a huge issue. Um, but I have seen people just let it go to the point where they, the fish start dying through denitrification. Um, so I, that's why I always like to suggest some sort of solids um, removal from the system. If you've um, got any decent number of fish, I, I, what's your take on that actually? Interesting to ask someone else. Yeah, no, actually, I think this is a, a great example where uh, Korean natural farming comes in a lot to help it. So you could actually pour liquid IMO or lactobacillus uh, uh, labs which is super easy and cheap for anybody to make at home uh, and um uh you know you can take that and um pour that in even if you had an older tomato you could pour that in on the roots and stuff in the grow bed itself to kind of help eliminate that remember that the lactobacillus can live in those anaerobic environments so if you have a bunch of sulfurous uh, producing bacteria that which is what the stink is that's what the smell is um, it's going to seek out that area and actually eliminate that. Um, the other thing that works really well for those types of environments um, is black worms. Uh, they sell them often for the pet trade. You can uh, uh, that you can get uh, for your feeding your betas or baby fish. Um, they're commonly sold as just a regular old aquarium feeder, uh, and you can actually raise them at home and and breed them and and you know get a mother culture and and produce them yourself. Uh, once you do that, if you want to do that long term, but um, those also love to feed on those anaerobic bacteria. So you'd introduce those into the grow bed, uh, put some down into those sludgier areas and between the labs and the blackworms, you're going to eliminate all of that. So with the, with the labs, is it a one-off dose? Like um, so, they're in the system, like um, it'll sure. just keep perpetuating or is it only if they've got that, um, that let, me, uh, let me pull up a thing here because I was putting together. A... I actually want to have you on the channel talking about that. Sure. Oh, yeah. No, we're definitely going to do that. I'm excited to kind of teach uh, and talk about this with your, your crowd. Um, we have, uh, so I'll just throw this up on the screen real quick. Where's my thingy? There we go. Sorry. We're having all kinds of technical problems today. Um, so, um, uh, this is just kefir. We took kefir, put it in a gallon of milk, and away you go. And then what you can do if you want to be really easy and lazy about it is you just uh, partially unscrew the lid, flip it upside down, and it'll strain out all the labs for you 
without any cheesecloth or nothing right into the container that you need. Um, but generally we dose that about a one to 1000. So we'll do one gallon um, to 1000. Where is it? Uh, there we go. So, but in general, we'll do a one, one to 800 or one to 1000. So if we had a disease problem, we'll do one to 600 or one to 800. Um, so one gallon per 800 gallons of system volume uh, or one gallon to 1000 gallons. Now, normally on a regular dosage we'll, for a maintenance dose, which we do twice a month, well, like usually the first and the 15th, something like that, um, we'll do a one to 1000 dosage. And that just prevents sludge buildup and stuff going on underneath the uh, media beds uh, and, and raft beds, especially DWC beds. They often get the, the stuff that makes it past it and stays in the water column and the bacteria, the buildup that just kind of builds up that silt that gets anaerobic over time, which I'm sure a lot of people experience. Um, that, that completely eliminates that. It just loves to feed on all of that stuff, liquefies, it turns it back into to plant food, gets it back into the water column where it then can be taken out. The biggest thing is, is that if you have a very dirty system, you need to use this very gently. So maybe do, do like a one to 3000, your first dose, because if you do too much at once, it's just going to immediately unlock all that nitrogen and you might end up with a huge nitrogen spike and you don't want that. So back off your fish feeding, let the nitrogen drop down for a couple of days before then, then do your like one to 3000 dose if it's dirty and then build up to a one to 1000 twice a month, you know, as your regular maintenance doses long-term. Um, but that's the, the methodology that really works well. Okay. So we, we make our own probiotic yogurt here. And then from that, I make a probiotic cream cheese. Um, at the moment, I'm pretty much all carnivore. Um, so, and animal dairy products is one of the things I'm eating just to fix up a few health issues. So that when, when I strain the, um, the yogurt and I make the cheese, um, so that whatever, whatever liquid comes off that would pretty much will be rich with the, um, the bacteria I could use. Yep, the way, or, the way. Yep. The way, yeah. So it, it doesn't have to be like a, I saw the bottle, there was a probiotic bottle. It can be pretty much all the way from my cheese as long as it's a lactobacillus. Yep. Yeah, because that's going to eliminate those anaerobic areas. Obviously, there's some that are better than others. But yeah. the other nice thing about the, the whey is all that lactobacillus unlocks a bunch of vitamin B. So that's why like you get a bit of a rush when you eat really rich cheese. It's yeah. the same as having like a bit of a five-hour energy drink, right? There's tons of different vitamin Bs in it. Like it's the same, maybe not as much vitamin B, but certainly gives you a bit of a you know, yeah. energy rush, uh, which is plus, good. Plus the dreams, plus the dreams. I had half a wheel of brie last night, triple brie um, for my supper and had, yeah, there's a comedian over here called Jimmy Giggle. And I ended up battling him for like four hours in my dreams last night. <laughs> Bizarre dreams with cheese, man. Bizarre dreams. Stilton's really good for that too. Uh, Stilton's well known for the giving you the funky dreams. You know oh, what okay. I, I found, uh, and I have no idea what the legality is of it in Australia, is um, uh, salvia. A lot of people um, uh, are familiar with salvia. So not, I'm not talking about doing a big hit and like, you know, tripping for, or anything like that. I'm talking about doing just a small, tiny, like microdosing before bed, taking just like a, like a half a hit or, or like a half a, a puff or a small puff of it, uh, uh, just a tiny amount. Man, you will get really trippy, lifelike dreams, and you'll have really good dream recall when you wake up in the morning. Like you oh, can really? sit down and write them all down and remember them, which was really, really interesting. I did that for like a month or two. It was really fun. 
Um, I remember seeing videos. Uh, mate sent me some videos a couple of years ago of people in the states tripping out on on YouTube. I think before they took. Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, there was a guy that uh, used to be like, "This is gardening on salvia," and hit his bone, yeah. and he's just like drooling and and like scraping, yeah. scratching the ground. Didn't make it look too appetizing for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I had a friend of mine drop a five hundred dollar bong with salvia, but salvinorum. Salvinorin B was, they thought for a while that it was so, the first guy to discover it actually was uh, um, Dennis McKenna. Um, and oh, okay. they thought it was uh, so, like, the, they thought the readings were off or whatever they were testing it and the amount of um, how, how small of a dosage it was to, like, have a psychoactivity. So they thought something was wrong with their machine, so they, like, gave up on it. And then this other guy picked it up, and a couple of years later, I forget what his name is, um, okay. uh, and they figured it out, but it's actually the strongest chemical in terms of psychedelic, stronger than DMT in terms oh, really? of uh, milligrams um, per, uh, per, you know, per, uh, you know, effect. Is um, that um, is that after um, Food of the Gods or from Terence? Is it mentioned in there? Because I can look about that. Uh, I'm not sure. You'd have to. Okay. I don't remember uh, what's in what book. Uh, uh, also, um, uh, on that note. Um, uh, rest in peace, uh, uh, Anne Shulgin passed away. Um, that really sucked. So another uh, another awesome part of uh, psychedelic history passed away uh, this week. Uh, not familiar with her, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Uh, she was the wife of... Um, um, damn it. Sorry. I got all kinds of things going on right now. She's the yeah. wife of Alexander Shulgin. Sorry, lost my yeah, train we, of thought there for a second. We don't we don't have the best um, access to a lot of that stuff here in Australia uh, for obvious reasons. Like, yeah, there's there's no groups or social groups or stuff like that that you, you find on on Facebook. It's all stuff that comes through America. They train all the koalas to eat all the mushrooms there and everything. So it's yeah, bad. Yeah. Oh, we, we get the mushrooms. The dogs chasing butcher birds. Um, yeah, no, we get we, we get a couple of choice mushrooms here in Australia. Um, there's um, legends of going down to Nimbin. Nimbin was the big hippie capital um, until chemicals took over there. Um, yeah, and people used to go down to Byron Bay and walk through the cow paddocks and get bags full and then bring it up to um, Brisbane and dry it out and turn them into pills and all sorts of stuff i've been told um yeah nice years gone by yeah nice um well uh so what about filtration that's another common yes. one that people often uh, uh have questions oh, about you want to touch people, on that? yeah um filtration I'm, I'm of two minds because i've i have no problems getting in there and cleaning out grow beds once a year um, I, I know how to get in there and do I've, I've also got clay I don't have river rocks or blue metal or anything like that I, I can clean out a grow bed in probably about an hour three three um, three foot by three foot grow beds that's three hours it's less than half a day to clean them out um, without killing the bacteria and so the the system's not going to be um, have any major issues if um, I had a high fish load in there I'd do them one one a week um, just to spread it out in case I was, um, you know, knocking off the bacteria. But part of me says that you can tell people, and I do, do have said it to a few people, um, just, just get the solids filtration, put it on, 
because nine times out of 10, people go, oh yeah, I'm going to clean out the grow bed and never do. And I've seen people online, I mean, Murray's got a papaya tree that he reckons it's been in the system for um, years and years. Um, but I also know people have ended up with anaerobic zones and losing fish within six months because they've overplanted with the wrong plants in a grow bed. So there's, it's a fine line you've got to walk. Um, so that's, I, that's why I pretty much will recommend solids filtration to everyone, um, or at least cleaning out the beds once a year. Um, I, I know a guy locally who has papayas that are, you think Murray's look good. Um, I've got video of them. They go up two and a half stories, massive papaya trees. And he's got the, they're on IBC chop and flip systems that are all linked together. So they're um, a series of tanks with fish in them, uh, just a grow bed with rock on it. And he's had to use ratchet straps um, to secure it to the house so they don't fall over onto the neighbor's place of that tall. And he's got massive palsy harvest. With, um, and those, those trees, he said, they've been in there for three or four years. You watch the chickens, he allows the chickens go up on top. So it's a real um, biodynamically diverse growing system. Chickens scratch and poop and go for the worms on top. And you can't, under the first probably inch and a half of rock, it's just roots. And he says he never has any anaerobic issues whatsoever. And the fish down below are surviving really well. So, but like I said, someone six months in says my fish are dying and my bed stinks. So it's one of those things I just like to recommend that people use solids filtration just for the sake of their fish. After you've got a couple of loads of fish through the system, you're going to work out what's, what's what and whether it suits your style system. Because also remember, I'm dealing with people with like three IBC beds. You guys are dealing with massive systems um, in comparison. So I'm, I'm pretty much all just helping the, the backyard have a crack. If, if it was a larger commercial system, um, you know, I've seen some rock beds that go for um, five to 10 yards and they've got a series of four or five of them. System like that, when you're running it, a couple of thousand gallons of fish tank, I, I think it would make perfect sense to run some sort of solids filtration because I can't imagine wanting to um, clean the solids out of that amount of rock grow beds down the, down the line. So yeah, that's, that's, that's one of, that's my take on the solids filtration anyway. Hope that made sense. Yeah. yeah. What about um, berries? That was another one that I, I saw that you had, uh, you don't see a lot of other people's uh, content. What's that? The Berries. Growing berries. Yeah, you, you have quite a few videos on berries as well, which is another... Oh, yeah, uh, they're, they're not in the system, though. They're just in wicking barrels and wicking systems. Um, I've, I've had people say that they've grown um, blueberries really well in aquaponics, and then you look at them and they say, oh, we only get five or six fruit off in a year. It's probably because it doesn't like the, the higher pH uh, most people run at. Um, but that's why I really like the dual root zone idea. A couple of people have actually got in contact with me and said I can sulfur the ground to heavily um, and then throw the, the blueberries in, in the dual root zone, and they're going to do a lot better than the aquaponic system itself. So a few people said they're going to trial that. Interested to see how that goes. Um, one of the big issues I think a lot of people that I deal with have is everyone's growing outdoors as well. Um, I know in the States, greenhouses are a big thing, um, but here, in depending on the climate, of course, but here in Southeast Queensland, I probably know three people who have greenhouse that they grow in. And they tend to have a little bit more money and can climate um, turn them into climate control um, situations. Um, so, um, yeah, the dual root zone could cause a few issues um, out, outside just with the, the rain uh, washing stuff through, like sulfur. You don't really want a, a load of sulfur going through the system and dropping the pH overnight. 
um, if you're doing those sort of blueberry trials, but. We've had a, we had pretty good luck growing. Um, Marty grew uh, elderberries outdoors in his uh, yeah. aquaponic system and they did really well. And then I've done um, blueberries and blackberries uh, in pots as well. Uh, and blueberry, uh, yeah, we did blueberries, raspberries and black blackberries. Yeah. And currants, currants yeah. did really well and they were super sweet, super sweet. And you're able to adjust the pH through the, the, the pot itself? Exactly. Yeah. So what we did was we make, we got a really good, um, I forget, was it an azalea or it was, a, um, we went to the plant store and got just a, yeah, a, a really acidic um, a plant mix and then used that for the dual root zone. And then we just added uh, aeration to it. So we added some extra perlite and a little extra lava rock just so it can breathe a little more. Um, and that was it. Well, that actually, just talking about the filtration again, the one, the big thing I want to try just because I'm lazy is the, um, the Sandbed or IAVS as a filter. Um, I want to run all my crud through there and use that as the first bed in the system, um, see how well it goes, and then have uh, either rafts after that, because I haven't grown with rafts, not seriously, just mucking around. Um, sure. I've, I've got some beaver board um, because I didn't want to use just the insulation stuff. Over here, it's got a lot of fire retardant in it. I know some people say it's, it's fine to use, but I prefer not to. Um, so I got the beaver boards. I'm going to run a raft um, with them, but after the sand. But I'm also going to use the sand as the uh, wicking medium for pouches. So I'm going to have pouches on top. There's a guy here in Australian, uh, Owen Jenkins. He's, he, he runs a serious aquaponics system. His, his shed is slowly, he's got a two or three bay garage shed in the backyard. And it's slowly being taken over by aquaponics. He's running Barramundi through winter. Um, he's got jades, he's got tandanus, uh, eeltail, catfish, and I think he may have a couple of lingering silver perch in there as well. Um, and he's started to do trials with the sand beds and then running the soil pouches on top. And um, my idea is if we can get rid of the biofiltration and the radial flow settler, it'll make it a lot easier and a lot more accessible for people who just say it's too complicated. Um, they can't grow fish in the backyard because they don't have that sort of... Um, knowledge to run a radial flow settler or they can't afford a drum filter like some people are suggesting they buy. So I'm, I'm really interested in that. As, as to all the uh, other mythology around IAVS, apparently it works well, according to um, McMurtry, but um, um, I'm, I'm McMurtry, that was his name, wasn't it? Mark McMurtry. Yeah, yeah. he's the guy that did the project at Epcot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, that's, that's the, um, the, the interesting filter I'd like to try down the line. Um, but yeah, um, you, have you tried sand at all? We've tinkered with it one time at an aquaponics source and it was a huge mess. It was, it locked up and then um, it just, it smelled pretty bad. And we just were like, this isn't working. And we gave up and yeah. it was breeding the uh, fruit flies as well, quite well, because of the wet sand at the surface. So. Well, that, that, my, that. that's a good um, my, my issue with it is just our torrential downpours because we, we can, you know, we can get a couple of inches in an hour, um, just through the summer storms here. And I can't, I can't see those nice little, um, mounds lasting too well after a couple of, um, hailstones like that land on them. Um, even having shade cloth over the top, which is pretty much all the only cover I'd have over a system here. Um, that, that sand is just going to get hammered. I have seen, um, a couple of people use like garden edging barriers and they create an artificial um, like mound 
um, you know, on the sand bed itself, and that looks to work. Some of the guys over in Egypt, but yeah, I it's it's got me interested. People want me to do videos on it, but it's one of those things I don't like to um, talk crap about stuff that I haven't tried. So I'd rather try it before I have you know uh, get into the ins and outs. Did you? Um, I was catching up on some of your older podcasts. You interviewed Murray. Did he ever get back to you with the figures on how his testing was? No, done? you know it's something I should ask him that. Yeah, because I don't know whether it's tied up in his course and all that, but uh, it's that seems to be one of the things. A lot of people, I know, put crap on it because they they're not seeing they're not seeing the figures and the results. Oh yeah, until, I, until I, people. I'm one of those results. people. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I peruse the socials. Um, yeah, so. Murray, if you're watching, release the figures. What are you hiding? Um, <laughs> Tell yeah, us it would the be interesting. <laughs> yeah, it would it would be really interesting to see. It's just I know it's been proven before uh, when Mark did his research and all the rest of it. And I think some of the guys in Egypt um, over on the IVS group, um, one of the guys over there has done testing, but I can't. I've scrolled through there and I can't see the results whether I'm missing the post or not searching correctly. But um, yeah. It just seems too good to be true when when I'm speaking to people in the past and they're they're explaining the basic the makeup in the fish food itself is only what's available to the plants and that's only after the fish exactly. taken their cut out of it and if if, if molybdenum's not there and if if those elements aren't in that fish feed how are the plants getting it and when well, it, the, I know a plant can look good and green and look so, healthy crunchy fruit but so if we work you want the whole nutrition you want all the elements in it. So they worked on this a little bit at the aquaponic source with a company called ABC Organics. And the problem was potassium was one of them, because if you have the potassium high enough to provide for the plants, especially flowering crops in high enough amount, it actually is so high that it can cause issues as far as their blood or um, heart issues or cardiovascular issues and those types of things. Um, so that's something that definitely is one issue. The other one is iron. Iron get you know as it passes through the fish going in through fish food um, gets oxidized as it goes through the digestive tract. So your uh, iron you know has to be chelated because of the pH and the oxygen levels in the water. So that's another problem that gets really hard to get around. And then you have manganese, which is another one that has to be chelated um, and and depletes pretty quickly due to oxidation and and you know plant uptake. So um, uh, and then some of your other micronutrients again just over time are going to be. It doesn't matter how you're growing, you know, if it's not in the inputs in the system, it's not in the inputs in the system, you know. Well, it's like any system, it's going to become out of balance. Like it's it's because there will always be more nitrate than any other and there will always be more, you know, so it's there will never be a perfect balance there for the plants. There's an interesting paper since we're talking about nitrates. Let me pull it up here. Sorry about the dog in the background there. Um, just just quickly, a, um, with the you were saying the um, oxidated forms of the elements. Is there any way that natural um, natural farming, um, like labs or anything, of the the KNF can help make those elements plant available? Has anyone looked into that? So, so the, uh, liquid IMO certainly makes a huge impact on bioavailability. We've seen huge impacts on the parts per million in our mineralization tanks. When we do mineralization brews in aquaponics and we add liquid IMO to that, or even IMO2, just straight preserved IMO2, plop it right in and let it brew for two or three days, it makes a huge difference because you have all those other microbes that are missing from that chain. We all know about nitrosoma to nitros, or nitrospirita, nitrosoma, yeah. and, and everyone knows that one from the aquarium trade and the aqu aquaponics teachings. But 
there's all of those for phosphorus and potassium and silica and all of those have their own chains and some of them are one or two microbes. Some of them are six or eight microbes in order to complete the chain to plant availability. And people don't realize that that's why increasing the biodiversity, it, it, um, you know, helps get the most out of your plants, helps get the most out of your fish waste uh, and helps, you know, um, get the best bang for your buck so that you do are making the most use of that and, and can get the most, um, production out of your crops, especially flowering crops. It makes a huge difference in, in flowering production. Especially for the medicinals you're working with too, because you're, you're looking for those specific medicinal qualities. Yeah. Well, it's oh, yeah. the same with soil growing as well. Um, that's, that's one of the big things. Um, I've, I've spoken recently to a farmer who, I don't know if he got hot under the collar. It was, it was online, you can't tell. Um, but I was talking about natural farming techniques and he was saying that he can't, dispense with chemicals to improve the soil. Well, you can, um, Elaine Ingham, um, Chris, um, all these different ways you can, you can yeah. fix the biota in the soil. And yeah, so. We were in, Af in Zimbabwe, oh, we were working with soil that was an old tobacco farm that had tons of nutrients that were dumped in it. We just fixed the, fixed the microbes in it and that we were growing really good crops in it, not cannabis and otherwise. So, yeah. you know, well, you can, one of the you big can, things. One of the big myths here in Australia is, oh, our soil's so depleted, that's why we can't, we can't farm as well as we used to. Um, Australia used to, up until after World War II, and there's conspiracy theories about this, uh, we were feeding a large proportion of the world, producing a lot of wool for the world and all the rest of it until they slowly crippled our farming sector and manufacturing sector. Tinfoil hat if you want to wear it. Um, but the... Um, Soil isn't depleted. It's just lacking the life forms in there to convert those elements into plant available. It's just one of those things. And if you're going to keep throwing your NPK on there, you know, bag after bag per acre, there's there's no way those life forms can survive in there. So it's I know there's the agrarians here in Australia, um, David Dohe and uh, the permaculture people. They're really pushing it, but I, I really like to see that angle move more into the aquaponics here, um, because at the moment everyone's like, yeah, see, so will do throw in some chelated iron and that's that's the only additives we're really putting in oh yeah um the uh to me it was something once i got I met chris and we started experimenting with it and kind of started off with the labs experimentation and the imo just because it was two things that were going to definitely not kill the fish and def you know what i mean <laughs> start off with the easy stuff <laughs> and uh, it worked really well and actually anyone that's looking to really learn a lot about knf um, uh, definitely check out Chris's online class if you have a chance to take it. I've taken about 80% of it, uh, and uh, it's very, very good. It's a wonderful online course uh, if you're looking to learn more about it from him. And he is, you know, adds a little bit more content like us uh, now and then. So, uh, you know, yeah. I've got a book bookmarked uh, next to Elaine's. And yeah, Elaine's, I almost took it when the last deal was on a couple of weeks ago, but didn't. So. Yeah, it's a, a, both of them are good. I've taken um, Elaine Ingham's microscope course. It's really good. Okay. Yeah. Definitely, definitely uh, other good resources for people as well. Um, uh, so you also are a big keeper of chickens. Um, you know, that was. Uh, oh yeah, we 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 have we got rid of them um, when the last girls um, died off. We ended up with one left, and it's always bad to have just one chook by themselves unless they're a house pet, and she wasn't a house pet, uh, so we gave her away. Um, we, we do want more in, uh, especially because of my diet change. I'm going through a, a dozen eggs every couple of days. Um, but it's just at the moment where our property is in limbo because we don't know if we're going to sell up and move out. 
And um, if, if you have aquaponic systems and veggie patches and chicken runs in your backyard, a lot of people, a lot of the, the people watching this would probably love that and pay a premium for that property. But um, nine times out of 10, people don't want that stuff in their backyard. They want lawns and a, and a hills hoist clothesline and that's about it, maybe a swing set for the kids. Um, so we're, we're wondering whether we find a property we can develop um, someone else's property and, and host out what we want to do um, there for the time being until we find a property um, and just try and turn this into a piece of suburbia um, for those people who'd pay that extra dollar for blandness and lawn. So, yeah, it's so I really do want chickens. I just I just don't want to put the infrastructure in at the moment to work out what we're going to do. So you do, uh, you do a lot of cool stuff with recycled grow beds and bathtubs and things. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? It's certainly a question that I oh. often yeah, well, it's the only way I can afford to do what I do. I, um, people, people were um, uh, basically throwing bathtubs at us left, right, and center um, just because of my online presence, and they knew that I would use them. But we were using things like there was reverse. Um, uh, I forget the name of it. I don't think it's going anymore. But there was an online local group, um, one of the Yahoo groups, um, and it was basically you just list whatever you had for free rather than going into landfill because unfortunately our landfills, um, some councils will have what they call a tip shop um, where anything good comes into the landfill, they put it aside and they sell it for some extra dollars. Um, we don't have that recycling here. It all goes into a pit and gets, I mean, it just destroyed the amount of stuff that I've seen in the pit when we go um, that could be sold on to other people is it's, it breaks your heart. Uh, but yeah, anyway, these sites, um, you hop on into this group and people list bathtubs, IBCs, 200 litre drums, or 50 gallon drums, all sorts of stuff, wire, chicken wire. Uh, so I got a lot of stuff from there. So recycling is pretty much all the way that I started out. Um, always looking um, for bathtubs because they're anything from a worm farm to a grow bed. Uh, they make wicking beds as well, nice little shallow um, rooted plant wicking beds for your greens, your herbs. Um, a big proponent of wicking beds here just because you got a, a, the inbuilt, the inbuilt, um, irrigation in the base of them and also the fact that you can pretty much all have a different soil for every different bed like you, you could have a, a half ibc wicking bed that's just so acidic every other plant would hate it but your blueberries thrive in there and you can fit four good sized bushes and something like that right next to it you could have something that likes a more alkaline soil um, yeah so recycled stuff and secondhand stuff the aquaponic system we got at the moment we got from paul vanderwerf uh, he's an aquaculture designer here in Australia. Um, he's come up with some pretty nifty ideas like the earthen beds, which are basically, as he admitted, not his idea. They've been around for years, but um, uh, reservoir down the bottom, like a wicking bed flow through for aquaponics. Um, flow through wicking bed, I suppose they're called. Um, he sold me his aquaponic system out of the backyard fairly cheaply. And that's what our cream colored tanks are that I'm using at the moment. And I've got a couple of drums. And I see them come up all the time on social media as well, on the social media um, groups for aquaponics here in Australia, people selling their properties in the southern states to move up to our state, making everything expensive. Um, yeah, they're just giving away their aquaponic systems or selling them online or people who had a crack, wasn't what it was cracked up to be and just want to get rid of them. Um, so if you're yeah, into recycling and you want to start aquaponics cheap, hop on Craigslist, hop on um, trading posts here in Australia if that's still a thing. Uh, gum tree and you're going to find systems or components um, really cheap really cheap don't go out and buy 
from a hydroponic store or an aquaculture supplier or a fish tank. You don't need it. Seriously, for the backyard, you don't need it. I've seen people bore, sorry, $800 for a 2,000 litre or what's that? About a 500 gallon tank. Um, it's, it's rather expensive. You can pick up a two, two uh, IBC, 260 gallon, 1,000 litre IBC for 50, 50 to 150 bucks Australian here. So, man, they're, they're around there. They're around, they're around if you look for them. So. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, shoot, lost my train of thought on that for a second. Buy, buy new plumbing. Buy new plumbing and buy new pumps. One guy, oh, we're pulling up the septic system. Can I use the 90 mil pipe? No, you can't use the 90 mil pipe. I think it was just pulling my leg, but um, taking the piss. But yeah, um, buy new pipes. Don't use recycled pipes. Buy new pumps. <laughs> yeah, you never, you never know if it was... Uh... You know, downstream of something that you don't want in your pipe. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, in the United States, actually, there's a great resource for people to get really cheap, uh, cheap stuff for their aquaponic system called uh, Restore, and it's run by Habitat for Humanity. Um, and all the uh, resources go to helping, you know, all the all the funds they get basically pay for it to run the facility into Habitat for Humanity. So basically people can donate um, when they're doing teardowns if they're a contractor uh, there's useful resources left over. Um, they'll basically bring it over. If someone gets the wrong thing, it's, it's sent the wrong thing, they'll send them, you know, the, the right one. And then they just take the bad one and donate it over there for a tax write-off. So um, you can get stuff at like 10% of what it would normally be in the U S. Yeah. Oh, oh something um, someone put me onto here in Australia is the auction houses. I never thought about them uh, when business is closing down. Thanks COVID. Um, yeah, there's a lot of businesses gone out of um, basically closed down, a lot of cheap machinery, lathes, milling machines and that sort of thing. Um, but um, even aquaculture equipment, hydroponic equipment, um, because um, I think Lloyd's is one of the places they just move in and just sell auction everything off. Um, people were getting some like even cheap racking uh, for your grow beds, um, cheap uh, like uh, industrial pallet racking and things like that um, from the auction houses. One guy got a whole set was like, um, I think he said, it's enough to do all around the outside of your shed, inside and out, for a couple of hundred bucks. And that's the stuff that takes um, one or two ton pallets. So here in Australia, anyone who goes to Bunnings, what they use, or well, I suppose Lowe's use something similar in the States or Walmart. So yeah. I, uh, I was going to make a, a comment about Australian politics, but I won't. Um, oh, feel free. All right, all right. <laughs> um, you also are a big fan of bok choy. I'm a big fan of, of bok choy and tot soy. Tot soy is one of my favorite stir fry greens that you can grow. Uh, it is amazing. You mix tot soy with a little bit of spinach. Um, what are some of the other uh, leafy greens that maybe aren't lettuce that uh, that you're a big fan of? Because I think a lot of people in the U.S. just grow lettuce, leafy headed yeah, um, or iceberg. What, what's some good stuff that, that you like to recommend uh, to, to diversify? Weird, weird shit. People will go, huh? Warrigal greens or New Zealand spinach. Um, it's just grows wildly on the beaches here, um, South America and a lot of Asia as well. Uh, it's just the best spinach substitute. Uh, it's fairly high in oxalic acid if that's one of your issues. So you just do a bit of a blanch first just to get rid of that. Um, and it just grows like a weed. Uh, one plant could see us through. I mean, we've still got bags in the freezer downstairs from a year and it would almost be a year ago now. Um, I've just stopped eating it for a few reasons. Um, but yeah, that, that stuff just grows like the clappers. 
in the ground. You don't even need aquaponics for that. Just down the, the uh, out your laundry door or just down the side of your house uh, really well. Um, another one is Okinawan spinach. Uh, the longevity spinach is another one. Um, uh, it's a relative of it. Uh, they were some of the, you know, cure-all, fix-all herbs and greens that were around there a couple of years ago on social media. I just really like Okinawan spinach because it tastes like carrot and lettuce rolled together. Um, it's a green on top, um, pubensis, oh, I forget the name, um, green on top, purple underside, and um, yeah, just a really hardy green. In our climate, it just takes over grow beds. I've, I've lost grow beds underneath it. It does so well with the aquaponics, and I could just eat it by itself. Um, brassicas, I'm a real big fan of um, broccoli leaves. Um, I'm grew collards i had a couple of different collards sent to me and was not a fan of them i tried them with bacon fat and onion and all the different ways to try to mask the flavor uh, couldn't get into them but um broccoli leaves really like them some of the uh, chinese sprouting broccoli they did really well for us here in the veggie pods um that's that's pretty much all it i've, I've got a pretty narrow diet chard i suppose I, I don't mind the odd bit of chard here and there um or silver beet we call it here um but at the moment i'm pretty much all just bok choying it and just the the odd leafy herb um, basil things or basil um that's that's pretty much all what i'm doing uh the the bok choy favorite way to cook it just split it down the guts fry it on its back and while it's frying on its back smear it with um crushed garlic and ginger and then just a drizzle of really nice quality soy. Uh, we've started buying $20 a bottle soy sauce and you really can taste the difference. Uh, just a little bit of drizzle over that and then just flip them over when they start to brown on the bottom. And it's the, the best way to eat it. Still don't mind it chopped up in stir fries, but just, just as a two big half lumps next to a whopping great big steak, absolutely gorgeous way to eat it. And with the soy sauce, yeah, if you're, if you're feeling rich, um, a nice expensive bottle of soy sauce, better than anything that you'll get in a um, just the, your average stupid market here in Australia. Um, so, nice. Yeah. Um, Bit of an education. Had an education um, from some uh, local friends. I also it's Alan, um, his wife out at Wyvernhoe Pocket. He's he did the um, I forgot what I labelled the video, but he's grew aquaponic ginger. It's basically a scale back uh, commercial system. Uh, that was designed by about three different people and it's a bit of a hodgepodge system grows really well you know he's, he's got it running well um but um yeah his wife put us onto fermented bean paste and that mixed in there with the bok choy is nice and the stir fry as well i don't mind a bit of that and that okinawan spinach i was telling you about before it goes nice in um, stir fries too so yeah that's uh in fact you just reminded me uh they have those fermented bamboo shoots. That's another really good source of lactobacillus. There's like 400 different types of lactobacillus in it. I didn't know that. Uh, Clackamas Coot told me that uh, a couple months ago on one of the episodes. Um, so that's that another good source. Something people make up or is it something you can buy? Yeah, you can buy it. It comes like in a little jar the way you get pickles or anything like that yep. in like a liquid. Yeah. I'll keep an eye out. If I'm knowing Australia, it's probably irradiated on entry. Um, so probably useless, but I'll keep an eye out and have a look. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely something that you might be able to find down there, uh, or maybe you can find them where it's made on the island because you certainly have a lot of bamboo there. So yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
what about any other crops? You grow quite a bit of uh, uh, different things. Is there anything else that's maybe a little less traditional or interesting uh, or different or something that you found that you're like, man, this this really grew really well in aquaponics and I did not expect it? Ginger. Um, I've, I've just got a thing for growing ginger. I don't know why. I just really like growing ginger. Um, it did the the aficionado did really well. Uh, turmeric longer does really really well. It actually grew too well. Um, the, the, I've got some black turmeric. Uh, sorry, I've got black turmeric, but I've got some black ginger um, off a local guy. He's the guy who did the sand filter video. Um, Terry gave me some. Thanks, mate. And I'm gonna I've got that um, stored away in the kitchen in the pantry at the moment. I'm gonna pop that in the system. Um, yeah, so. I'm interested in the, the medicinals, maybe not as much as I was before, um, just through the change of diet and all that. Um, but yeah, gingers, I really like growing them. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty bland and boring, really. Uh, it's, when, when you plant the Okinawan spinach, anyone who's grown in the aquaponics knows you've all automatically lost half a grow bed. Um, so they, they tend to take up a bit of room. Same with the Warrigal Greens. And then once you whack, like even though I've got a, was about three foot by, I think it's three foot by almost six foot grow bed, you can only throw so many um, broccoli in there before it's, it's overgrown. So it's, it's, it's one of those things. I, don't, I really don't have the space. What I'd like to do is grow um, all the fruit and veg for family and friends who live locally. It gives me an excuse to um, create more content build a larger system and um, try out different methods that I haven't um, tried before. So um, that, that, that's part of the idea of trying to find somewhere else we can set somewhere up uh, a large system. Um, worst, the, the worst area. one, like the worst one like that, that we tried at, 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 with Sylvia, the aquaponics source was artichokes. Those oh, really? things are huge. They, yeah. they'll make, they're like three times bigger than broccoli. Yeah. Well, asparagus is another one too. Someone told me asparagus in one season took over a whole IBC. So I don't know how many crowns he put in there, but because, you know, when, when you plant out asparagus, it looks like one crown, but there might be four or five in there. We all know growing aquaponically and hydroponically, if the nutrients are there at the roots, they're just going to go boomba. So, yeah, we, we tried it in, in Colorado in one of the beds at, at the experimental greenhouse and it took over the whole bed. That it sends out runners kind of like mint, and, yeah. and you end up with these small roots at the beginning and they just fatten up and it, it's crazy like how fast it grows and that's a definitely one uh, well, I, I stuck, agree i stuck um i think it was three in an ibc wicking bed out the front and i think i stopped counting at 30 um 30 um crowns when i start i took it out about eight years later oh no sorry that one was only in for four years four years later um stop eating that um yeah it, it grows phenomenally well just in when it's got enough stop it come on um <laughs> pulling the tablecloth um yeah phenomenally well if it's got enough hydration um, and you keep feeding the soil up asparagus would have to be one of my go-to crops actually it's about the only other crop that i really like eating that fried with asparagus fried with beans bacon and onions um just in a warm salad just with some roasted sweet potato thrown on top balsamic vinegar just not a guy to get stuck in the elevator with that's all oh no <laughs> no, no. Oh, no i'm just teasing in that respect. <laughs> that's not like a piss in the corner or anything <laughs> um uh so do you have any um uh, uh oh uh that, that was my follow-up um what is there anything that you grew and you're just like man this just did not grow well in aquaponics or 
this was just too finicky or like you said, get out of control, ask, you know, so that asparagus takes yeah. over. Watercress would be another one that I would say just yep. completely takes over beds. Mint, oregano, our oregano is starting to take off and start to own a section of bed at the moment. Um, onions, I, I have real issues with onions, um, getting onions and garlic to go. I've seen some phenomenal garlic harvests from aquaponics, but for some reason, Owls never grow to quite what I'm expecting. But I've also had complaints. Uh, the people that I've been buying our garlic from, other people I know who've bought the same seed stock, they're not getting, like we use a variety called Glen Large. It was developed west of here at Gatton and it's for our climate. And it, the, first, the first bulbs I bought were probably about the size of a baseball in circumference. Um, so they, they were really nice size clover garlic. Now, last year, the seed garlic we got was probably about a, oh, I don't know what, how, a bit bigger than a ping pong ball. Um, and they just weren't throwing large, large bulbs off of that. Um, so I don't know whether it's the aquaponics or whether it's just that that strain of garlic has slowly like changed over the years um, through where they're growing it in their climate is becoming acclimatized and growing slightly differently. Um, Another one that I've had um, issues with is um, capsicums or sweet peppers. I've had one or two really good ones at the beginning. I, um, bull's horn style grew phenomenally well. We, we could not eat the fruit fast enough. But when we get to the Californias, um, I've never really had a lot of luck with them. Chilies, not a problem. But those, those California, uh, what are they called? California Bell or something? Or California Wonder. Yeah, yeah, Wonder, yeah. Just the normal, just the normal bell peppers. I've, for whatever reason, I just can't get them growing in the system. I just never do any well. We've had really good luck with them in um, dual root zone pots, and then we've also yeah. had really good luck with them in vertical towers, where oh, we right. we hung like a, a cloth pot, and it had uh, water dripping in from the top from the system at a, a slow rate, and it just kind of dripped onto the cloth pots that were in there. Uh, and, and then drip down and back into the fish tank. And we had a, in the showroom back at a aquaponics source, we had a couple of huge ghost pepper plants that were six feet wide and, you know, five feet tall. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's, that's one of the things with the system. Like if I could, all I need is another, all I need is another 10 beds and I could, you know, throw the bags in there and trial all these different things, but it's, it's just a, not enough space. Because they're, they're one thing we use a fair bit of. We use a fair bit of capsicum, carrots, carrots, another thing we use. Beetroot is another thing. Uh, carrot grows okay in aquaponics, but seriously, it can grow a lot better in soil, I've found. So interested in trying them in the pouch. Um, Owen and Jenkins, the guy was mentioned before. Um, if you're an Aussie, check out Brisbane Aquaponics. And he posts in Aquaponics Australia Official on Face Palm. And um, he has got a couple of his beds up on there every now and then. He shows a bit of a progress and he, his carrots is getting out of the IAVS is pretty impressive. That fact alone interests me because mine all come out gnarly and bumpy and, uh, you know, like we were discussing the other day, like a million roots hanging off of it. These are coming out nice and clean. So now I've got magpies. Um, yeah, so beetroot's another one. I really love fermented beetroot, lacto-fermented beetroot. That's really nice. Throw a bit of ginger in there as well. And I was using the aquaponics bullseyes for them. And yeah, that, they make up a really nice pickle. Really easy to grow in aquaponics as well. I can't believe the amount of people who don't realize they're a salad green. Um, beetroot, you can just grow it as a salad green. It, it's so easy. 
and then loves aquaponics. We've always had much better uh, production with them in aquaponics than anywhere else in the yard. So I haven't tried them hydroponically yet though. So that's, that's really cool. Uh, the other one that I liked for, for greens is, um, oh, what the heck is the name of it? Um, Shizu. Uh, Shizu. Shizu is really oh, yeah. good. Yeah. Um, a lot of people in the U.S. haven't had a chance to. And Shizu is one that you can grow like in Oklahoma in July, right? It doesn't care that it's 103 out. Uh, it'll still grow just fine. Uh, and there aren't yeah, a lot of greens. Uh, Shizu, H-I-S-H-I-Z-U, uh, I think it is. Okay. There's a green shizu and a and a red shizu, uh, okay. and there's a couple of fancy types as well. But it's one of the only greens that and Malbar spinach is the other one that just does not care about the heat. It'll grow just fine. Yeah, Malabar isn't. The other one I was going to say on the onion topic was um, Egyptian onions. If you've never tried Egyptian walking onions, they do grow like crazy, and that's another Children one that'll completely times. take over a grow bed if you neglect it for a while. You will have more more onions than you know what to do with. Yep, Hamish from Naughty Goat Farm. He has one of Murray's original systems, and the top of the grow bed is powered. It was powered by about twenty to thirty jade perch, and the top grow bed was just walking onions. That's all he. That's all he grew. <laughs> he gave me three or four lots and I killed every one of them. I don't know, just the, the alliums don't do well in my system. And I always put it down to the, the biology of my system just isn't set up for it. So it could be something else. Like I'm not a, I, I do subscribe to the um, companion planning, but not how most people say like you plant basil next to tomato and you're going to end up with 10 times the amount of tomatoes, you know, that stupid uh, wives tale stuff. But there, there must be something in the grow beds that is, is, not friendly to um to those larger alums. Um the um chives, not a problem, shallots, not a problem, but anything that forms a bulb, I'm I'm having issues with even now the perennial leaks. So do you have a lot of larger brassicas in the system? Because that can do it. Yeah, well, I've constantly got brassicas in the system. There's always brassicas okay. in the system. Yeah, so brassicas release an allopath, many species, not all, but many species of brassicas actually release a lilopathy into the, uh, the soil to kill okay. uh, mycorrhizal fungi um, that are beneficial to nearby plants so that they can take over. It's, it's actually, there's a really interesting white paper on this that was done by the state of California uh, on garlic, um, garlic mustard specifically, but um, those compounds are not solely found in garlic mustard. It's found in some of the other food brassicas as well. So yeah. um, uh, that, that, you, know, you can have some brassicas releasing stuff into the water that could be negatively impacting that you know uh we see this all the time in, in aquariums uh with that's, why we use, that's why i use mustard um the powerful strong red mustard is the best mustard greens for killing root knot nematodes because of that fact yeah. yeah oh yeah yeah garlic mustard if you look at it especially anywhere out west in california oregon it wipes out anything else and you know <laughs> that, that's growing there and it's because it just kills all the mycorrhizal fungi in the soil by releasing a compound to do that so okay definitely something i think uh we need to understand more about because we don't we don't know all this stuff in aquaponics there's some minor observations that we've seen you know here and there but no one's really sat down and tried to be like okay well are they releasing larger this or is this some other issue or maybe you just happen to have a tree that shades it the right way that you know whatever (laughs) well the other the other thing i was thinking of is um just when i do my system i'm 
playing with the idea of just turning a, a, one of the IBC wicking beds into a flow through and putting a second pump in there, having a sump and just pumping that back up to the fish tank um, and, and trying all the crops that I can't get to grow in there um, successfully, like ma mainly the alliums and the, 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 um, the um, California wonder style peppers and, and see how they go in there. Cause it, it's really frustrating. I know they're only like cents to buy per kilo at the stores, but it's just, yeah. It's the challenge it's frustrating. of it. Yes, it's frustrating. Now, we, could, we had really good luck with the onions and wicking beds. And then I know some people have even had good luck with them. They'll start them off in like a, a, a NFT or something like that. And then they'll transplant them into like a DWC and put them to where like the bulb is above the water and the roots are below it. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah, it does. Yep. I've, I've seen, seen that on like Rob, Rob Torsellini's channel and some stuff like that. Okay. Well, straw, actually, funnily enough, strawberries. I had really, really good luck with strawberries to begin with. And then um, they just stopped and there was no increase in salt. Like naturally, the first thing you're going to think is the system's been double-dose salt or something like that. But no salt um, added to the system. Um, no extra sea salt. At that time, I'd moved on to the powdered um, kelp. Sea salt has a, a bit of sodium in it, um, sodium chloride. Um, but... Yeah, um, strawberries are another thing I've, I've had. I've been challenged within the last couple of seasons trying to get taking off in aquaponics. First, the first one I stuck in there, I had runners within weeks and it took over a whole section of bed. I, it grew phenomenally well. And then, yeah, so. Strawberries will suck an incredible amount of iron and calcium from the system, uh, oh, much yeah. more so than a lot of other crops. But those two, that uh, spinach is another one that, that just slams iron. Um, and, and you'll, you'll, you know, if you have two systems the same size and you grow it in one and not the other, you'll see it plain as day on how often you got to dose it to maintain those levels. Yeah. Um, well, I noticed the, the Warrigal greens were a big um, hog on the iron as well. And they were my canary. Whenever I had an iron issue, they were the first ones to start to yellow. Actually, that's just getting back to, um, getting back to, you said, uh, what people ask you. That's one thing that I'm, I'm surprised isn't more well known, the difference between the iron and the magnesium deficiency and how common, how common it is um, in the community. Like they, they must, you know how people do the FAO um, download? They also need to do magnesium and iron pin at the top of every bloody um, social media page as well, I think. Uh, the, I like the Hannah iron checkers for, for testers. Uh, people yeah. can check those out. Uh, in fact, I'll throw it up on yeah. the screen for those. We've that, only uh, got the colometric ones. Okay, uh, Hannah, Hannah here in Australia. I was buying, sorry, Hannah Australia, if you're listening to this, the Hannah pen I was using <laughs> here, the 99810, I think that was the red pen um, for pH and temp. To buy it in the States, I think it was costing me like a hundred and something um, US, and then getting it shipped over here to buy it here in Australia was close to $300. So I really like Hannah, but just couldn't afford to buy them here in Australia. And then the shop that I was buying them through on Amazon stopped sending to Australia, so I was stuffed. Yeah, they're uh, they're great if you're trying to find anything out. They have, you know, you know anything hydroponic testing wise. They have, you know, all different types of different tests. They have awesome multimeters. So you can test yeah. for you know a dozen different nutrients at once. Um, and uh, them and Lamote, uh, which is the other company yeah, that I own. Well, that's, that's one of the biggest things I get from, um, from people watching. They want to know um, 
testing equipment and unfortunately with the backyard system i, I tend to think of the scattergun or shotgun uh, um, approach of where you just throw a lot in and hope that the plant takes up some of it <laughs> uh in the in the guys that say like a kelp or a seaweed um for your ma uh, micronutrients and your potassium and things like that um the, because the testing and getting your water done here in Australia is just too expensive. Um, I think I worked out as triple about triple what you guys pay. Um, so, and if you if you want to do that, so you, you got your test for your system water, your mineralization water, and then you want the comparison test a couple of weeks later, you pretty much all could have gone out and bought a shopping trolley full of groceries um, of, of, of fruit and veg for, for the amount you're paying. And those Hannah meters, while they're excellent and someone in your position, I can understand the, the worth to them, but the backyard is just prohibitive. So I even I wanted to do an oxygen um, test like um, Venturi versus stones and then break the stones down into the, um, the silica versus the normal and trying to get a decent oxygen meter here in Australia is just prohibitive. Um, again, you're looking at something like Hannah or something like that. A lot of times you can find a garden club or an aquaculture group that you can rent them from or an aquarium club that you can rent them from for yeah, a couple of days. I'm, um, I'm not here in yeah. Australia that I'm aware of. I did ask the local aquarium, one of the workers in the local aquarium shop, and he just sort of looked at me a bit weird. Oxygen meters, why would you want that? Have air stones. So, <laughs> My fish yeah, has COVID. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm thinking like, it would be interesting to test from your fish tank to your um, even the radial flow, then your bio, and then straight into your sump tank, and then also the water coming back from the, the grow beds, like get readings of all these, like not just oxygen, but nutrients all the way through the cycle. But yeah, it's, it's just one of those things that's a bit prohibited at the moment. So. And uh, if anyone does want to check out test kits, you can go to aptestkit.com. APTestKIT.com, and we have a whole list of all the different test kits, um, how, what the range is on each one, how many are in each box, the price, uh, and the MSRP, uh, the manufacturer manufacturer links, so you can find you know the company that made it, uh, and then retail links to each one. I, I add stuff to it regularly. So, um, But there's over 170 or 80 test kits or more on there already. Um, you can test everything from aluminum to lead to formaldehyde to calcium, nickel, chromium, anything you could want to test for. Um, so, and anybody can go to that. It's aptestkit.com. Fix right to the Excel sheet that, and anybody can, uh, can download that if they want to save it themselves. Cause you mentioned that in our video, but I didn't, I just realized I didn't put the link up. So I'll put that under the video. No worries. Yeah, which is aptestkit.com. Cool. And it's also cool, too, if people are doing ferments or teas or things like that, you can also test your own. And remember, so say if this, say if it says that it only measures up to 300 uh, potassium for the sake of argument, um, you can actually do a, a low fr a fraction test. So you can take distilled water and say if I, I need to test it up to 600, uh, I can take that three, uh, and I think maybe it's 550. Um, I can take that 300 um, range kit, dilute it halfway with distilled water, uh, and then basically I, I can basically you know get twice the amount of range out of it. It's called a dilute um, uh, low resolution. Um, so you can actually do that to get a little, even more range out of the test kits. Cool. 
Yeah, I put that together just to try and help people out so that we can get more people posting data, talking about numbers, and uh, you know, start to have more educated discussions on some of this stuff. Cool. Um, uh, you also are a big fan of sweet potatoes. You grew quite a monster one. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Because that was super yeah, cool. That was that was a bit of a freak of nature. Um, that was in the first um, wicking bag in the aquaponics. And that was a, I think that one was a seed potato we bought at Bunnings, and which is our local big box store that's sort of taken over. Um, yeah, and it did phenomenally well. Um, only got one spud from it. That was the spud. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, um, I've, I've got uh, runners from it and they're growing in a wicking barrel down the back. And I'm going to pop it back in the system again, but in a larger pouch and just see um what we can get there was sorry i lied there was one small tuber um probably no bigger than that um in the base um so that was it from the two of them i actually no sorry i lied that was in the sand down the back it was growing in the sand um bathtub where i store on the sand for wicking um but yeah it tasted really nice Uh, just the amount of cracks and fractures on it though i I have no idea when I've seen that in the past. A grower told me that it was root knot nematode. I don't think it was root knot nematode in there, mainly because it was a virgin potting mix that it was in, and the company would be in big trouble if they had nematodes in their soil. Um, so I think it was just the abundance of nutrients. Uh, it just didn't know what to do, and it just split. Um, yeah, yeah, we, so. We've seen that but, sometimes too. It seems to be, I don't know if it's water content or what, but root knot nematodes don't really like the super wet environment that we have in aquaponics. So it's very unlikely that you root knot. I have had them before in a wicking bed down the back um, with some purchased in soil and you can actually see the damage all along the roots. It doesn't just affect the the tuber itself, but actually you get the nodules all the way down the roots. But yeah. I've also seen, I've also seen too, when you have really healthy plants, um, you'll get uh, plants that will grow like little, potatoes almost little tiny ones all along the roots and they're not like a root not nematode it's just like fat stores because they're just super 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 healthy um those actually are super good if you uh ferment them up as plant food okay yeah yeah because of the um the the sweet potatoes as as they grow here we just got a really good climate for them so it's it's one thing i don't mind the idea of having them in the aquaponic system but next time, like I said, there'll be one in a pouch and I will do one just in the clay, but I'll do the vine down through a series of other pouches and try and keep it off the ground, uh, all the rooting points, and see if we can get an increased um, production through nutrient and water through the system and then setting the root sets at the leaf junctions and pouches and see how that goes. I, had, I grew one in the aquaponics years ago, the first system. And we got piddly little spuds out of the aquaponics system. Very disappointing video to post to YouTube. Then I realized that actually one had gone down the side and into the ground. And we got massive sweet potatoes growing right next to the system. <laughs> from that. So it was also where I was dumping all the, um, the solids from the radial flow settler at the time as well. So that probably could have helped as well. Um, so, yeah. We had really good luck. We actually ran in Colorado a six inch pipe. We never really did any content on it, but. We had a, a the, the fish tank was a pond below ground. So we, we had, that was the lowest point. So we just put a six inch pipe 
and it had, it had that go around with a couple of teas on it. We put basket tops on it and we had a watermelon in one and a pumpkin in another. And I forget some type of squash in the other one. And man, we had the biggest, most giantest watermelons I have ever seen uh, uh, off of that plant. It had every single node, instead of being some of them small, some of them big, all of them were just plump because they had unlimited water. You know what I mean? So yeah. it, it works really well. The problem is that uh, you kind of have to run those vines out of the beds because <laughs> they'll take over. take over. Yeah. Didn't you do a pumpkin ages ago? Yeah, we did a pumpkin uh, out in California for a, a couple of years ago. We ended up having the rats chew, they ended up chewing the stem off the one, and then they chewed up the, the other oh, pumpkin. Right. That's why we never finished it up. It got chewed up by the uh, rats. That's actually, that's, that is, we we're talking about pests before. They are a pest we get here. They were um, smashing, I was blaming the kids. I was going yeah. down there and finding like a, a small mouth bite out of a strawberry, and I was thinking it was the kids. It was the rats. Yeah, they, they ended up getting into the pepinos. Actually, talking about uh, plants that do really well, pepinos. Um, do you know pepinos? They're a member of the um, Solanaceae. They're a um, nightshade. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you yeah, might yeah. call them something else. Yeah, no, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. Those are really good uh, for um, uh, when you have uh, uh, pocket gophers, so people that are growing in okay. soil in, like, California – or Oregon, um, we had really good luck interplanting those in San Diego around the bases of all of our, our uh, cannabis plants. And it really helped a lot with, um, they would not go anywhere near it because remember those nightshades have a high amount of um, uh, histamine uh, in them. So it really sets off the, you know, allergic reaction. Yeah, they're the, digging the, through. The yeah. Well, they they drew they grew uh, phenomenally well, better in there than any soil I had them in, whether it was in the ground, a normal pot, or a wicking pot. Um, I've there was one photo I lifted up. It was because it's drapes over the side. Lifted up, and there's just dozens of fruit, and they're nice big fruit. And I can guarantee you, every single one of those fruit was bitten by a rat and half eaten. It was. <laughs> they, I absolutely love them. Um, we didn't get many off of that harvest whatsoever, but. That, that is one plant that if, if I get cuttings of again, I'll throw into another system, but a protected one this time around. How do you spell that again? So I'll, I'll throw it up on the screen. I can't remember how you spell it. It's cap, Capsino. P-E-P-I-N-O. Pepino. Because I think one, one comes up as a, a cucumber or a, um, a pickle as well. I think there's a, kip, a pickle called Pepino. It's also called Douglas, Douglas Nightshade. Oh, okay. Oh, it's looking at trying to find it here. Uh, I've grown it. You you can get them on um, uh, rare seeds. Uh, uh, Baker Creek. Yeah, I used to buy from them. I got my uh, got Kajari melons from them. I think. They're, yeah, they're really, amazing. They're an they're an awesome melon. Those orange melons, I love them. Oh, yeah. And they were fruit fly resistant too. They were one of the only cucurbits we grew that are fruit fly resistant. So they, they tend to, they ignore them when they were young, like cucumbers get smashed. Um, they were getting smashed by the fruit fly as soon as they were like two, three inches long. Uh, the pepinos, they hardened up fast enough that, um, I'm not sorry, pepinos, the um, kajari melons hardened up fast enough that the, the fruit fly wouldn't hit them. Rock melon though, pumpkin, uh, we lost crops of pumpkin to the fruit fly. Um, but yeah, those little melons were just armoured. Yeah, I like to uh, digress a bit and uh, jump back and forward. Sure. 
Uh, we had really luck too with those jelly melons. Those did really well in the aquaponics. Are they the, the horned ones? Yeah, the horned ones, and they kind of open them up and they kind of almost explode when you open them. They're really tasty. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I've um, had, I think they're what they some people call a jam melon here. I may be wrong though. I've, I've never grown them, I've seen them, but yeah. What, um, we had a, a question from chat. What advice do you have for people um, that are starting a YouTube channel? Me? Yeah. Fake it till you make it. Only reason I'm only reason my videos have done so well, and I'm convinced of this, is because Americans like Australian accents. Okay, <laughs> so step one: get learn an Australian accent. The majority of my views um, for years were mainly American, and only in the last two or three years since COVID have they started to come back more to um, Australia and Great Britain. Um, but just be yourself. Just be yourself. It's one of the complaints I get from people when they meet me in person. I'm the same on YouTube as I'm off YouTube and they're expecting something different. I, I swear a lot more off YouTube. Um, mouth like a sailor, but... Um, You're yeah. Australian, so naturally you have to. It's part of the language. I, te I tend to drink a lot more off of YouTube as well, funnily enough. Um, but yeah, it's just, just be yourself and, and don't bullshit and pretend to be someone that you're not and be an expert. You just show your failures because your failures are what you're going to learn from and more people are going to learn from them than you if you put them online. So, yeah. Oh, and don't go out and buy expensive cameras. Just get, get a cheap one. I bought a secondhand Note, Galaxy Note, whatever they are, the new ones are, um, from a secondhand shop and just use something like that. Don't and my mics, um, I just buy cheap little um, mics, uh, USB-C mics from JCar here in Australia. I think they're like $16 or something like that. You don't need to go out and buy road mics and all the rest of it and just film something you're passionate about and people will tell and, and they'll follow you from that. So, and yeah, people say do scripts and all the rest of it, but I, I find it very hard to do a script. I need to just know my stuff and talk about it. That's why there's shitloads of um and ahs and my, sorry for swearing on your podcast. Uh, but uh, oh, you can swear all you want on this one. It's fine. We we get auto demonetized because of the content, so you can swear all you want. Yeah, fuck loads of um, um and ahs in my um, content, and um, yeah, it's just one of those things. I just Bianca says I, I think I don't think as fast as I speak, and that's why I'm an R all the time. So yeah, makes editing fun. I can tell you. Yeah, and oh, also if you want to start out, get DaVinci Resolve free. It's um, what they use to edit Hollywood movies and TV shows, and they have a free version. They make the majority of their money through through their cameras, their red cameras and editing suites, and it, it kicks Adobe's butt. Um, my daughter had to use Adobe for school, and looking over the shoulder, all the different steps she had to do for editing with Adobe was a pain in the butt. All on uh, Resolve, it's all there on the, the one screen, and you can yeah just work straight from that, just for simple YouTube content. And there's heaps of how-tos on YouTube, really good information on YouTube and uh, showing you how easy it is to use it. Um, but just, just look for free stuff and just use your average, your, your phones. And yeah. Oh, and buy, uh, mine's not in here. Um, when you go to secondhand shops, buy all the cheap secondhand tripods. And the DJI gimbals and those sort of gimbals are really good for when you're walking around. So you're not, your camera's not doing this the whole time. Um, and shaking uh, the st onboard stabilization of cameras is pretty good, but 
if you're doing a lot of walking around, it pays to get one of those gimbals. Oh, and comb your eyebrows before you go on to um, front-facing camera. That's the other one. Yeah, my videos aren't that good. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's pretty much all it. Um, I bought the paid version. I don't even know what I got with the paid version that's different from the free one. I think the free one, uh, there was something at that time that was on the, the paid version that wasn't on the free version. Um, there's no watermark either. Like some of the ones when you use them for free, there's a watermark. Um, but yeah, a good little bit of kit for nothing. And you're on mute, Steve. Sorry, trying to juggle uh, too many screens here. Um, uh, what's your oldest, the longest time you've grown a single plant in your system? Oh, that would be, that could have been one of the Okinawan spinaches that was going for three or four years. Um, what else? I've actually got, well, that Okinawan spinach, it's not growing in the system, but it's still growing this in root pouches. Um, the, pardon me, the Ahe Amarillo chili we've got is coming up on two years. They're, they, like you were saying on um, my video, they're, they're a perennial in the right climate. You don't have to pull your chilies and your capsicums out every year. They just keep growing. Um, that, I'd say that the, the Okinawan spinach is pretty much all, just because it's a creeper, it just keeps dividing wherever it hits the ground. It just airlays itself. So um, it's just something that just keeps on continuing, continually growing. There's, I mean, I've still got my original ginger on growing in the system from the first bit I bought as seed ginger uh, from Green Harvest in Australia. Um, I've been growing that ginger now for like 11 years. It's just continually um, harvest every year. So I suppose a turmeric, we had one turmeric plant in there for um, three years, two and a half, three years. Uh, just left a little bit after I harvested the mother. So technically that's one year. And then it just grew into this massive clump. There's a video on the channel on that one. Um, so yeah, just just things that are more perennial in our climate, I suppose. I've actually got some um, broccoli down the back that's been growing for over two years. Uh, so it, it just died back through summer, and I went down the back to empty out the bed the other day because we we're trying to level out our backyard. And um, yeah, it's got shoots on it again. So I didn't have the heart to empty out the bed. I want to see how many years it'll go. So. I've seen people do walking stick kale and dinosaur kale for multiple years and they're like, yep. you know, 10, 20 feet long, looping through the ceiling kind of stuff just for fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, I suppose uh, the other one is um, sweet potato. We've had some of that, uh, the white sweet potato that was crap in the system. We've had some of that growing for like four or five years. It started off in a bed out the front and I've um, threw it down the back in the bathtub and... Yeah, I think there's still some down the back growing in a little compost heap. So, but those plants, like the warrigal greens, we've, we've warrigal greens, it's, it doesn't grow for years on end. It does die back after a while, but we've only ever bought one plant and we've been growing that for 10 years. Plus, it's just set seeds everywhere. So, it's, there's a lot of plants that you can just save your own seed and have them as a perennial um, as the mother dies, as the next generation they're ready to take over. Uh, well, the chives are doing that now. The chives are slowly dying off, being killed by black onion aphids. And I'm getting little babies um, springing up in the system everywhere from the plants growing up on the deck. Same with the basil. So, uh, brassica aphids or? 
Um, they're, I call them an onion aphid. They're little black ones. You pop them. And oh, onion aphids. Nice aphids yeah. Perfect, yeah. Perfect, perfect little, um, perfect, uh, purple little, um, blood splots. Yeah. Have you tried, um, uh, what's it called? Bavaria balsiana, uh, like a botanic guard or, um, no, I've been using uh, the Australian crop. version is we've been using pure crop one on them. Uh, the other thing I do is I just pull the plants out if they're small enough, hit them with the hose, and then just plant them back in the system. Just really easy way to do it. Trying to find the uh, oh, you can actually get velifer in Australia. That's I did one. actually. There was one that you mentioned to me, and I looked it up, and it was only in like um, agricultural quantities. Like you couldn't get small anything under like four or five liters, I think it was. Do you guys just mind if we um, have a little intermission for like five minutes? Sure, man. Go ahead. Cool. This is a. Uh, I'll mention this since we were just talking about it here. Um, this is a velifer. So this is our, our favorite strain of Bavaria balsiana. We found that this actually works against leafhoppers and all kinds of other much more aggressive insects. But um, a lot of you guys already know about Bavaria balsiana, which is a, a really good beneficial microbial. Um, but this one actually, this is a link to the Australian one for B, uh, BASF. Um, but uh, yeah, it looks like it's even approved down there. So that's good to know for our Australian friends. Uh, certainly would be something that I would definitely want to have in my garden um, if I was in Australia. And it's one that we would highly recommend in the United States as well. Uh, I use it uh, anywhere uh, that I'm doing commercial stuff uh, as our main Bavaria Bastiana strain. Uh, what's up with you, Wes? Oh, not much. Just so you know, doing the, doing the thing, you know. It's, uh, got lots, lots of different stuff coming up in the grow. Uh, just looking, been looking through the different plants. Uh, uh, had had a few little disappointments. Had some, had some seeds that I was looking into turn out to be just herms, just a pack of fucking herms. But um, uh, but then the stuff's been come through nicely, looking looking real good. Uh, been dealing with a bunch of different heights on the. No, no, no. Uh, uh, I, I won't say who it is. Uh, the uh, uh, yeah, no, I had I had a bunch of different shit around the table, so we're dealing with a lot of different height stuff, and uh, that 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 uh, little ordeal, just you know, dancing stuff around, moving stuff back. around, trying trying to trying to keep heights. I've run. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. So uh, you, you're about to harvest, or you got stuff in flower right now? Or uh, I always have stuff in flower. I'm perpetual. Uh, okay. Yeah, so I always have stuff in flower. Uh, I got, I got, I got some stuff coming down. Uh, just the tail end. The tail end. I got a couple stragglers on one table, then I got another table that's just about three weeks in the flower. So, and they're just plowing nice stuff. Cool. And then just have a ton of clones coming behind, but yeah, always, always busy in my grow. Always busy in my grow. So, do you grow uh, medicinally, mate, or is it recreationally? Uh, medicinally, medicinally and recreationally, I guess. It's a yeah. little both. But... Yeah. Commercially yeah. or? No, no, no. I just personally, just personally. He's in Canada. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
condolences. Um, we got uh, <laughs> all kinds of countries represented here today. Uh, yeah. Two former British colonies, and uh, <laughs> I don't know. Actually, I don't I'm know what Australia's current uh, current uh, uh, state is. I think Canada formally disconnected, right? Or are they waiting yeah. for the Queen to die too, like Jamaica? No, for, we're formally. They're for, I think they're formally disconnected. I mean, they still recognize the Queen, but uh, we're we're independent over here now. Do you, are your courts still tied to England? Because I know I think ours got severed in the eighties or nineties. The Australia Act, I think it was called. Before that, you could go to Privy Council or whatever over in England. I may be. Oh, wrong. I, I I don't think. Yeah, I think our courts are severed. Yeah. Uh, you know how you tell. What do you guys like on your French fries? Ketchup or vinegar? <laughs> <laughs> I got enough I limey gonna... in me that uh, the bad don't mind vinegar. But... <laughs> I was going to say aioli, but anyway. Yeah, I love vinegar, man. Vinegar and mayonnaise is the that's the African uh, condiments for your French fries. That was uh, that was awesome. Dutch people were always the uh, mayonnaise on the uh, on the uh, French fries. So, um, what uh, what upcoming um, is there? Any crops that you're looking forward to trying or experimenting with, or new um, designs, or something? You, you talked about the sand beds, but is there anything else that maybe uh, maybe a little farther out that you're looking to, to to try and try out once you have your uh, your home situation uh, figured out there? Um, well, I'm actually I'm actually thinking about going semi commercial um, for just Asian greens. Um, and not only that, but also gingers, just because gingers grow so well in there. And I'm, I'm convinced that a wicking bed system will be easier to maintain. I'm talking about like, when I say commercial, like market gardens and, and country markets and things like that. Um, and, and crops that store well. So the Asian greens, mainly for um, family and friends, the crops that store well, like the sweet potatoes, the gingers, and we, we don't have to sell on day of market. Um, also, too, the black turmeric. I've got black turmeric, black ginger now as well, um, galangal. Um, you can probably see a theme here, a couple of different types of turmeric. Um, so all of those things, uh, the, what is it, Chinese keys, um, ginger. Um, so all these different things that hopefully I can turn into some form of a um, commercial long shelf life product. Fish, fish is pointless here in Australia. Um, I think Queensland, it's $20,000 just for them to stamp the paper. And then they have to come out and actually inspect and make sure you're all stainless and health code. And then I think there's some issue with killing on premises as well. You have to be set up separately for dispatching on premises. So a lot of the places here get away with selling live fish. Um, they sell live fish to restaurants. Um, there's a couple of really big yum char places and they have massive tanks just filled with locally produced jade perch and barramundi. I've two at the farm they come from. Um, so I, would, I wouldn't mind going more on the fish side of things, but I think I would, I'd need to definitely investigate more on the processing and natural removal of the um, ammonia from the system. Um, the one place I know that does it, they use it to feed lucerne crops or alfalfa, you guys call it. And then they harvest, that's one byproduct that's a um, saleable item. Then they got their fish. Uh, they've also got uh, pastured um, chickens as well, salatin style. Um, so they've also got access to river water, I think, which feeds the aquaculture side of things. But everything is as is, is closed loop as possible um, other than their water allotment. 
Um, that's really neat. That, that's that's something I'd like to do. Um, I'd also like to, ultimately, it would be beef, pork, um, beef, pork, chickens, um, fish. On a looking somewhere around about 40, 40 acres is my minimum, uh, but anywhere up to um, a couple of hundred to a thousand, depending on how the property is set up. We're looking at, but we've got to win the lotto first. Um, so, yeah. All right, all of us get that Brinks truck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it just it just makes sense to me. I've I come from a family that always provided from themselves um, at least something. And it just makes sense to go back. It's like the last two generations has just been lost. Um, you're, you are supposed to grow your own food. You are supposed to grow your own medicine. Just because someone else is going to do it for you doesn't mean they should. Or you should accept that as being the norm. So, um, yeah, we try and buy all our... We've got a couple of local butchers um, that source their meat locally. Um, we have bought online direct from farmers before as well. Um, so that's that's we're trying to... Um, go back to that sort of lifestyle again. So, and got our job, a, uh, our daughter a job in a liquor store. So we've got that sorted and um, yeah. Nice. Now the other one that we've, I've had a lot of people grow and have a lot of good luck with, especially in that type of, of uh, farmer's market type stuff is um, uh, herb salt. So they'll grow like oregano and basil and other stuff and they'll put it, especially right, the right. purple petrol basil, put that in a blender with some nice, you know, natural salt, like sea salt. And, and have a nice little natural salt with the herbs in it already. It's great for your steaks and stuff. And, you know, it can be another great way to, to increase your monetization uh, uh, off of um, something that can sit on the shelf for a while. Yeah, well, I, I tried uh, locally with the, the turmeric and the ginger, and I had one Thai restaurant um, that was interested. And then, um, then they got talking and someone decided that they could grow it themselves. Why, why pay for it? Um, so one of, the, one of the guy's fathers started to grow it. Uh, which was a bit, you know, um, but the, the value add side of things, I, I have had people ask about um, growing propagation material. Um, so that, that was another thing I was thinking of um, that, that could be a bit of a bonus, especially things like the Okinawa spinach, uh, spinach uh, the, the, the turmerics and the gingers again, and um, the mushroom herb, because they are very easy, but it's one of those things that people just aren't aware of them. Um, even ginger, I don't know many people who actually use fresh ginger um, in their cooking anymore. Most people use jarred or that toothpaste crap. Um, so it's trying to get the word out there that these things are available. And I'm not a big fan of face palm, so I don't you know, really want to use marketplace there if I can help it. So. Was it strawberry lettuce or strawberry spinach? Strawberry lettuce. Yeah, see those. I always see people when they get into aquaponics, and they and um, they always talk about high value crops when they go commercial. Um, but how how many lettuces can the market stand? How how many basil plants like that? Yeah, the the thing with lettuce is you you really do need to be near a large population to move yeah. the volume that you'd have to move to to really make it profitable. That's why. The people you see that are successful are near like Chicago, San Francisco, LA, New York. You don't see them in like rural Oklahoma, right? Like there are ones out here, but, and they do survive, but they're not doing anywhere near as well as like, you know, super fresh outside of Chicago. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, or, or superior fresh or whatever it is. 
So uh, uh, that that's really what those guys are doing. The, the people I see that succeeded though are doing specialty crops. So they're doing kitchen herbs for, uh, and fancy ones for, for local chefs and dinner parties, uh, you know, private private chefs and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. uh, I know that people are getting 30 or 40 cents per leaf for some of the mustards and, you know, lots of money for- That just blows my mind. Heads. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, quarter a piece for nasturtium heads and all kinds of stuff like that. So um, that that's really where a lot of the, the money is, is, is finding out what some of the local fancier chefs want and then just being the guy that they go to for that thing and, and growing that for them. And that's really where I've seen people see, yeah, you got to have somebody that's, you know, spending a little bit more time, you know, on the ground, but it's the number one thing I see people do wrong. I've seen people set up incredible facilities and be killer at growing lettuce and really, really good at like the whole, the whole nine, maybe having one or two things they need help with, but they can't move the product because yeah. They don't have an area or buyers that want to want to buy that, so they have to shift the crop and you know diversify a bit and and or or target you know just like you're saying that the Asian market can be a great one. Asian restaurants and and Asian uh, um, marketplaces can be a wonderful place to grow a lot of those again quick turn greens like bok choy, tot soy, uh, uh, many of those other ones that uh, are, are very very rapidly growing and 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 they're happy to and they'll buy your fish too. They love the tilapia. They, you know, getting the nice fresh local tilapia is uh, uh, great for them it's not that that junk coming out of china that most of us don't you know often uh, see the horror stories and facebook posts about so well for us it's the jade perch they absolutely um the chinese in particular they love preparing the jade perch because it's such a fatty fish um i'll tell you what if you like pork crackling if you ever get a chance to um make some jade perch crackling it is absolutely phenomenal it, it's it is so crispy straight off the barbecue it is awesome um, but uh, when 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 we were thinking about the crops and what we can do, we, we're thinking more that we will be rural, so that's why we need that long term, long um, long shelf life crops. So yeah. Awesome. Um, what type of fish uh, uh, do you, do you guys? You talk about jade perch, and uh, what are I'll some of the other ones? I'll stick with jade perch, I think. Um, but the Tandanus catfish is another one that interests me. I've had a, a few people now that tell me that the Tandanus is one of the nicest eating Aussie native fish. Another one is... Um, just names the Sleepy Cod. It's trying to go through the dwarves. Um, sleepy Cod uh, from uh, northern areas. Um, Bruce... Um, Bruce is up at Aussie Fish, uh, Bruce Samble. He's um, got Sleepy Cod up there, and he also does the Jade Perch, and he's got Golden Perch, and another one, Honey Perch, uh, is another Australian species that he's trying to promote as well. Um, he's got a license, of, of course, through the DPI over here and can go out and harvest from the wild. And uh, Honey Perch is one fish that I wouldn't mind trying. Um, have fun at work. See you later. Um, yeah, so... Down south, a lot of people tend to do the, the trout through winter and then they'll, they'll come online with their, their catfish and the silver perch. Silver perch can handle the cool attempts they get down there, um, but every now and then they have a bit of a cold snap, uh, a bit of an Antarctic glass come up and you can lose fish pretty easily. Um, but they'll, they'll do a lot of rainbow trout, golden trout. Uh, Melbourne Aquaponics has got um, golden trout. is another Aussie YouTuber with aquaponics. Um, Murray cod is a big one, Aussie native Murray cod. A lot of people will do that. Um, that's what Paul Van actually um, went off to work on a Murray cod farm. 
uh, for those people who know Paul and wondered where he went. Um, not, I have heard people have issues with them, uh, just like the barramundi in the system. They end up being, uh, yeah, get a, a few two-tailed fish, if you guys have ever seen them. Um, basically, a larger one will try and take a slightly smaller one, end up with two tails and two dead fish. Um, the Murray cod can do that. Uh, the barramundi um, for the same can do the same thing, and they need to be graded a bit. Um, Owen, uh, the chap here in Brizzy, um, I don't think he's had many issues with it, but he, he has said he's thinking about grading his fish out. But they're pretty much all the run of the mill. Oh, goldfish. Um, there was a YouTuber, uh, Chinese chap west of Sydney, and he was raising goldfish for the Chinese market uh, for one of the festivals. Uh, they eat golden carp. That's basically the, the common carp, but the, the feeder fish variety that was golden I, from memory that he was raising. Um, so there's a bit of a market in that. Yabbies is one thing that people always ask me about. Like, oh, you guys have got our red claw over there now as well. They're actually an invasive species um, in the southern area of um, Queensland as well. Um, they come from up north. They, um, a lot of people want to start aquaponic systems with them. And um, it, it's, it, it's one of those things that you just got to say, sorry, you can't, not the stocking, the stocking density you need for the amount of nutrients and the benefits for the plant side of things is, is fairly hard to do in a smaller system. You can grow oh, yeah. them on mass, but um, grow them on mass for your own consumption. But yeah, um, just the nutrient wise, they don't deliver enough for the plants. Yeah, the, the waste that they do provide is really good for plants balance wise, nutrient wise, yeah. but you have to have a ridiculous amount of them in order to get enough to grow any amount of plants. You can't, it has to be a decoupled system because they can't handle the potassium levels and the manganese levels and the other stuff that the plants need. So you it, it gets real complicated. There was a guy uh, in Colorado who was working on that for cannabis for a while. And uh, uh, I don't know, he got divorced or something or something happened to him and he disappeared. But um, the uh, uh, he was getting some interesting results and he was testing some of his waste and stuff like that. And, and posting some interesting numbers, but um, I'm not sure whatever happened with him. Well, and I had them in our system to begin with, and one of two things knocked them off. To begin with, they started playing Highlander. Um, the smaller ones were eating the larger ones as they molted, because the larger ones were molting first. Um, it happened up here. We had a tank of them in the house as well, and the smallest one, the runt, ended up being the victor. Um, but we also had goldfish in the system as well, the fish that I used to cycle the first system. And I don't know if they were having a crack at them as well. And the other issue I had was at that time, I was running my pH um, 6.3, 6.4. And I think that really affected them as well. Um, yeah, they... I, I, I try, as a rule of thumb, I tell people I don't run lower than 6.5, but yeah, every now and then it slips down. The Jays <laughs> can handle it because it's not a sudden drop. It's a slow, casual drop. So, yeah. But, yeah, um, the invert yeah, inverts definitely feel it hard. Yeah, someone actually, someone uh, brought up uh, why don't I start growing snails in the system? I, I had a really bad outbreak of snails when I first started off water snails. As that pH dropped, they disappeared, funnily enough. Oh, yeah. Uh, you yeah, you they, can do that to, uh, if you have a media bed, you can actually take a CO, rent a CO2 tank from a restaurant supply house take an airline off of that, run it to a bunch of air stones on a bunch of teas in the grow bed, yeah. and then wrap the top in cellophane, flood the bed 
with water and then turn on the CO2 and you can flash crash the pH and dissolve all the eggs and all the adults of root aphids in a grow bed. It's like the easiest way if you're just doing it from a small scale, it's cheap. It works. (laughs) You got to reset the bed, but it works. Slugs, slugs are a big issue. Do you guys have any full other than setting out the, the flooding the beds in the coast in so the, the container of beer? So there, so yeah, so beer works pretty well. You can just do a bunch of like. I might um, come and getting pissed and going home. Like they. <laughs> they <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, but uh, uh, the other thing that works really well is there's beneficial nematodes uh, now that you can purchase that you can put in the grow beds. Now, I don't know if they have them in Australia, but what you could do is collect a bunch. There was a guy, who was it that we had on? I forget. We had a guy on that was in a, another country. Um, man, I'm blanking out on who it was that said it. But basically what they were doing is they were taking a bucket of water. And see if I can remember this right. Taking a bucket of water, putting a bunch of plant material that would go near the top, uh, uh, float to the top of the water, you know? Uh, and make a little floating island in the center of it. And they're putting all of the slugs uh, onto that island and collecting a bunch from the garden. And then when the infected ones would, you know, eventually arise from the native infected ones, they start to infect the other ones. And after a while, once he put some new slugs in there, they would, you know, die pretty quickly. And then he knew it was ready and he would take that, uh, rinse it with a bunch of water, strain it, and then apply it to the garden. Now, it, that's a bit uh, a bit extensive, but um, it, it is an option so if you're <laughs> that, that's natural and you're not going to kill anything. Yeah, oh, I can I can see the value in that. That's smart. But uh, that's a lot of the type of stuff I think where natural farming can provide good hybridization for things like aquaponics. You know, with the mineralization with the, uh, liquid IMO, uh, with the labs, which also helps prevent things like E. coli and salmonella. We've used it to treat E. coli and, and um, a lettuce facilities now on multiple times and one in the cannabis facility um, that had uh, E. coli testing hot in the water. Um, we were able to eliminate that entirely within 30 days um, uh, in all three cases. So, um, again, this is the type of stuff where simply fixing the biology and the biodiversity in the system can eliminate a lot of these issues that otherwise can be quite a big challenge to get rid of. Yeah, well, I'm I'm actually looking forward to the next next winter when we get set up. We do honey pod peas and the snow peas a fair bit, just the, the green um, pod peas for Bianca. She loves them, but we always get smashed with um, powdery mildew. And I've tried about the most effective thing I've had of milk. Still confused why people recommend milk, uh, full cream milk. But um, the best results I've had so far is potassium um, bicarbonate. And if you get in early enough, it, it pretty much all keeps them in check. But I've had a few people now say that um, the lab mixture works really, really well. On yeah, labs on work super milk. good. That especially um, melons and, and cucumbers and things like that yeah. as well. Because that's the other thing we get them on. Like a pumpkin, it can be smashed by powdery mildew. We get um, a jap pumpkin here, um, and is, this is the name. The name is called just a pumpkin jap. So um, it's a Kent variety and it always gets smashed from powdery mildew, but it never dies. It always comes back. The fruit always stay on watermelons, cucumbers and all the rest of it. As soon as the powdery mildew hits it, we have real issues. The other that thing is the that we, alpha that did okay. But. The other thing that we've noticed with PM, especially, and it makes a huge night and day differences 
um, switching to potassium silicate for your potassium input um, uh, and getting that passive silica input so really helps with the SAR, with the, the a plant response uh, and, and you building up the, the plant's defenses. Um, I think a lot of times in aquaponics, people run them with, with next to no uh, silica levels at all. And then the plants don't have that resource to help defend itself. Yeah. Um, one of those have, things I learned about way too late. Yeah. <laughs> um, if they have lava rock there, that's a good source too. You can add that some of that to your grow beds, uh, or um, they used to call it grow stone, which is actually a glass product. It's a byproduct of the glass industry. Uh, I know they have an equivalent company that has a, a media type in Australia. I can't remember the name of the brand down there, but I do know that you guys have an equivalent. Um, um, but uh, uh, that's another way that kind of passively adds it because it, it dissolves over time. Um, it's kind yeah. of like a, a blown aggregate, uh, similar to the the pellets there. Yeah. But uh, I, we've uh, taken up quite a bit of your afternoon there. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to, to mention here? Uh, uh, trying to, uh, or as we kind of wrap up your your segment, um, anything coming up uh, content wise that people can look forward to? There may or may not be a video this week. Um, I'm supposed to be doing it right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've um, had your video. No, I'm just kidding. That's all good. I'll just rip this and then just cut out the bits I want and post it. There you go. See, I'll, I'll send you the video. That's fine. I, I was joking, but okay, if you want. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's totally fine with me. Um, yeah, no, nothing really. I've, I was going to um, respond to some of the questions. I did ask for people for, I think I mentioned this before, holes in my uh, video library and, and suggestions for upcoming videos. Um, so I thought I'd answer some of them that really didn't take like a whole video worth, like if you've ever used worm tea or leachate in the system and stuff like that. thought I'd just do a video on that this week. Um, but no, no, nothing really um, coming up. I'm just trying to con uh, concentrate on finishing off the guide by adding all those PDFs um, to the guide. And then after that, um, getting a load of decent uh, videos shot and part edited or fully edited. So when the uptick in YouTube happens, I'll upload them to YouTube. Um, my problem with YouTube is every year they turn the algorithm down on the stuff that I do. And oh, other people as well. It's not just me. Rob Torsellini was saying the same has happened with his channel, probably the same with yours. Um, but it also it's goes with the, the, it's it's the growing of the year too. Yeah. yeah. People are out in the US or they're outside, they're doing other stuff Holidays in the summertime. And all the rest in of the wintertime. And then with COVID, everyone was locked in the house. Now yeah. they're finally allowed to go out. So it's you well, know. COVID helped pay for their own new car. So that was really good. Um, also, <laughs> the, the exchange rate crash, which helped as well. Um, but yeah, trying to get all the videos ready. So when, when there's an uptick in views, not so much that I can get views, it's so people will actually see them because I get slightly frustrated when people say, oh, when are you going to do a video on this? And it's, but I did that three weeks ago. You said you subscribed to the channel. Why didn't you see it? Like, yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to get as the decent content in front of as many eyes as I can and just clips where I waffle on and walk around the yard and do the small harvest um, between now and then. And frequently asked questions and stuff like that. So no big plans content wise, but I would actually like to go out and tour more systems. So anyone in Southeast Queensland, um, if you're watching this and you want me to come along with my hairy mug and film your system and pick your brains um, and you want it uploaded to YouTube, um, yeah, I'm more than happy to come around because that's, that's the best way people learn is seeing other systems. And unfortunately you don't, a lot of people talk a big talk 
but they don't actually post any videos on their systems on YouTube, which is really frustrating. Um, down in the comments section, telling us how awesome their systems are. Um, I'm quite happy to come around and film yours for you and post it to YouTube if you don't mind. Um, so yeah, hit me up. It's funny. I, I think what they're one of the biggest aquaponic systems in the whole United States is down in uh, Texas, uh, near the Texas Louisiana border. And I we stopped in there one day. And I don't think there's a single video on the internet of that place. You know, there, it's funny how there's some huge aquaponics. And there's actually, there's another one in Texas, a 20,000 square foot one. And I don't think there's a video of that place either on, online. And I can understand the IP side of things. I can understand IP, but I mean, just walking around showing rafts and, well, this is a basic, this is a filter and this is where we got it hooked up and that's not going to show too much. But it would, it helps the backyard grower as well, I think, seeing those big commercial systems. Oh yeah, you know your your channel and uh, and Glenn Martinez, I think, are the two channels of people trying to just tinker and look at cool designs that have more than just about anybody else. Uh, but yours yeah, especially, yeah. you got so many good how-to videos and stuff on there. If any of you guys are looking to to do any system construction, definitely check out uh, Rob Bob's channel. Um, you can find a link to it in all the descriptions, whichever version you're listening or watching to this on. Uh, but um. Uh, cool. Uh, we definitely always get a, a big dip this time of year on the, the views, unfortunately. It's just part of yeah. summer. Yeah, too many cat videos. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Better cat videos than some of the stuff. Anyways, some of the stuff we had uh, the last couple of, of months and yeah. with the political stuff. Um, well, I've been told I should do some of uh, uh, Jack snoring and just put them up. <laughs> well... Um, thanks a lot for watching and uh, you guys can find him again at uh, Rob Bob's Aquaponic and Backyard Farm channel on uh, or just YouTube slash C slash Rob Bob get you right to his channel. Uh, and then uh, his website is uh, bitsoutheback.com, uh, bits plural, uh, outtheback.com. Thank you for the spurk. Yeah, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. And thanks for your time. And uh, uh, enjoy the rest of your Friday down there. Same to you. Have a good one. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, man. See ya. Thanks. That was awesome. Uh, always fun to have people uh, from down under on the show, uh, especially when they don't get attacked by one of the many uh, uh, hundreds of different types of creatures that uh, you know kill yeah, thousands of Australians every every year uh, uh, <laughs> between the snakes and the spiders and the uh, you know killer koalas. <laughs> anyways yeah. uh, always love rob bob again if you haven't checked him out before and you are looking for a wonderful resource uh, uh to learn and build your systems he really is one of the best out there and has certainly a huge collection and i'm sure his his course is just as good as his youtube channel so definitely check that out uh certainly a good value how are you doing there uh, wes so um tell us a little bit more about what's going on in your garden all right let's see Going on my garden, I got a well. I had some herbs I had to kill. That was a problem, um, and uh, so that the, there was that. Uh, got a bunch of got a couple couple things that are just taking a little longer to flower than the rest of the stuff that are just uh, holding up holding up my uh, uh, bedroom from fucking moving over to the flower. Uh, yeah, the just yeah, I just got a ton of stuff growing going right now. Uh, popping a bunch of seeds. I'm, uh, I just I, I ha haven't found anything I'm in love with right now, so I kind of let everything go after I got a big spider mite infestation last time. I just was just like fuck this. I just cut and burn everything. 
shut down and restarted and uh just haven't found any clones that I really, really love. And I'm just like, yeah, these are the ones. So I'm just working through just a ton of seed. I'm just going through seed after seed after seed and really being a snob about them too. Just just trying to find something, just trying to find the best of the best, you know, not just keeping stuff just for whatever reason. It can be fun to sit down and go through a fuck ton of seeds. It's one of my favorite things, especially with the, uh... Oklahoma, we've had up until recently kind of unlimited ability to enter new seeds into the market. So it's been fun just to break out some of the collection. And I know the first yeah, grow right. we did up in Claremore, I popped 88 different cuts because we were trying to see what we wanted to keep for long-term production. So it's like, fuck it, we're just going to pop like 10 of everything and see what happens, you know? <laughs> it was fun. I popped some, I popped some, popped some land race African ones. Um, they, were, they were called... Uh, what were they called? It's something with a D. Takara's fucking. Anyways, they were man. Were they really weird looking land racing? Jar D G A R something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. D D yeah D R A G or something like that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, but yeah, they were really land racing, super sativa, and ooh, yeah. I don't know if they ever really fit so, up, but but yeah, they. They sure took. They sure took a while, but yeah, the African stuff I found just takes forever to finish. Like it's really good, has really good nose. The other thing too, with with some of the African stuff, because it takes so long, it can have like multiple generations of trichomes before it finishes yes. too. Right, you'll have like the whole plant won't be done yet, and the flower formation won't be finished, and it won't be blocked out yet. But it already have had like a succession already of trichomes that have you know yep. kind of aged out, which is something that is kind of different. You kind of have to get used to it on those longer flowering strains. <laughs> you can pull the trigger too early and really fuck yourself. Um, but it's definitely something that that is a little bit more of a pain in the ass with some of those four to you know four or five month strains. Pain in the ass. <laughs> but uh. But that's super that's cool. On the girl. To run through all that. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> I've been setting out a ton of uh, these fly traps here and trying to catch a bunch of uh, like local uh, local flies for my uh, for my next, for I'm trying to do that uh, bug IMO like you were teaching us there. So want to try, want to try, want to try to uh, catch a bunch of uh, locals and uh, use them there. Nice. I'm going to try, um, you know, we do the IPMO collection with the insect frass and the rice. We're going to try some of it with, um, I'm going to take like jugs like this and just cut them and then try two of them on top of each other as the container and just put sets of holes in the bottom and try that as I put holes at the top so it can breathe, you know, with, you know, some fungi and stuff in it or stick across top or whatever, but I figured interesting to try it. It's something that anybody can get their hands on. I'm trying to find like a cheap, easy way that can be like a, anybody can do it kind of tech. That's cheap. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can build the wooden no. box for IMO, but uh, you know, not everybody is power tools or is, you know, this is true. Carpenter this is and true. Well, but you know, you can just go to a dollar store and find a basket, right? You can find a little wooden basket to do your IMO. In. There's, there's something there. You can find That's something true. like that. There's, there's plenty of there's plenty of things if you're not the handiest person you know there's there's, there's, there's a well 
that was part of my plan was to get a basket or and maybe even build a wooden box. We have the wood. I just need to do it. Um, build a wooden box too and try to do all three and kind of see if there's any difference. Because if the cheap plastic one works, man, it'd be great. Anybody could just go get some milk jugs and make up your IMO and away you go. You know, it'd be super simple and easy for people and and yeah, cheap. Yeah. You know? Well, exactly. Cheap, easy, accessible. I mean, like the easier it is to get people in. Like even if even if that's where you're starting at, trying it there, you know, then you move over to cedar boxes as you get more invested into it. Yeah, Yeah, that's the idea. Just try to give people something that's like, hey, try this. Like, you don't have to invest hardly anything. You already got, you know, your milk or tea or whatever. Just just try it. You know, that's that's the idea. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's something that I'll be doing in the next week. Other than that, just like a bunch of projects, but nothing's like immediate. So it's kind of annoying. Um, But hopefully... uh, getting moving with this edible stuff here we're just but uh had to be kind of patient and wait on their delays they're moving some moving from one building to the other so just it's taking a little longer than they're hoping but it's okay um yeah other than that just getting ready we have the the organic cultivators conference uh at the end of the month the supernatural conference or uh, organiccultivators.net you can check that out just getting ready for that i was finishing up my deck uh, it was actually one of the reasons why I wanted to do that side by side with the insect press uh, um, IMO collection was for that. Excuse me, that slide deck. Right. So it's going to be all in advanced KNF. Um, we'll have uh, kind of the main focus on the IPMO, but a little bit on plant ferments and fermented liquid IMO and blue lab super labs and um, and just some resources for people that want to experiment more with their KNF. Um, that they can kind of go to that are, are good for trying to figure out some of the nutrients. So, um, and uh, yeah, so that's what people can look forward to, to, to talk on that there. And then um, working on my deck for um, the uh, Mycelia Festival up in Washington. So that'll be fun. I'm really looking forward to getting up there. That's going to be just kind of relaxing. I can give my talk and kind of relax the rest of the festival and be around yeah. a bunch of people in the forest. That'll be good for my head. It's been yeah. a very hot and crazy uh crazy summer so far so yeah right on man just trying to figure out for the winter in the fall and then uh, doing planning for the this year's virtual aquaponic cannabis conference if you are a producer um hit me up uh if you're uh uh, someone that is doing research that you feel is relevant to the conference we're going to try and do like an alternation of like um, a scientist or scientific talk and then like a producer talk and then maybe like a panel and then kind of a a, you know one year repeat of that or you know kind of alternate between commercial producers and and scientific talks and try to balance that out Um, we kind of did that last year it worked really well i feel like we could do a little bit better uh job on how we just um do the different, you know, alternating of the, of the topics to keep people uh, uh, really excited about it during the conference. But um, yeah, looking forward to that. Um, oh, the other thing I want to talk about, and I'm super excited because I've been working on it and I'm not done, but it's, it's coming. Um, I've been working on, and I apologize because I do have to fix the one thing, but working on revamping the website. So um, you can go to poemponics.com actually have links now to everything i do need to finish updating the the podcast episodes but 
Um, you can click here to go to the articles and stuff. We have a bunch of articles I've written, different conferences I've been at, and all the different podcasts if you want to listen to this other stuff I've been on. Uh, and then also have links to the classes um, and all that stuff on the website now. I fixed all the old links that were broken. I had some issues with the, the site. Um, we have a new thing for consulting. So when you go to the consulting section, it has an intake form that you fill that out. It sends it to me and then we can we can get you on the right track. We have links to the, the podcast and stuff. All the latest podcast episodes will be on here uh, and everything. And then the nutrients. So just kind of working on getting that all, all set up. Uh, as well as the virtual aquaponic cannabis conference, you can find links to all the, the talks and episodes on there. Uh, and then uh, also to our, our uh, clothing over at Jelly Bomb, um, we do have a bunch of cool aquaponic shirts with tilapia smoking weed and uh, other cool things. We have like World's Dopest Mom and, you know, a bunch of other neat stuff that, uh, that Jesse was nice enough to, to put together for us. Um, again, we have some cool stuff on there. Um, it's not just kind of hokey stuff. We also just regular, if your dad or mom is an aquaponic farmer, you know, you can get them that too. We have all kinds of cool stuff, but, um, oh, I closed it. Anyways, um, you can check that out over at potentponics.com. I'm trying to get that to be a little more updated than it was because it was uh, kind of hurting there for a while, but you can find re- all the links to all the stuff we talk about now over at potentponics in the top menu. I'll take it anything that you want. So, um, yeah, working on, uh, oh, that's the other thing working on we have the, the pest control class that we got out now at the pestclass.com working on the mineral class now on uh, minerals and microbes. So this will be all about KNF and aquaponics. And then also on the mineral side of things, uh, all the different mineral levels and how to dose it um, recommended dosing for a uh, hundred gallons and thousand gallons. And you can multiply that by whatever it is that you need to, to, you know, to your system gallons. Um, and uh, yeah, just kind of a super, super in-depth, hey, if you're doing leafy greens, this is what the nutrients should be in the water. If you're doing flowering crops, this is what the nutrients should be. Uh, and then how to do liquid IMO, how to do IMO collections, how to do labs and lab dosing for aquaponics and all that kind of stuff all in one kind of thing, because they really do kind of go hand in hand. You, you kind of have to have the microbes uh, with the minerals. I, I feel like they can't really be two separate courses. We, you know, we'll end up offering them separately as well. but. Uh, uh, I really do think it needs to be just one, one course. Um, so we'll be uh, offering that here soon. I'm just about done editing that together. I think I have like eight more slides left and I got to uh, do one more editing, run through the whole thing, maybe add one or two more slides and then that'll be ready for recording. Um, so working on that. And then we'll be doing a design class as well uh, on aquaponics, kind of like an aquaponic 101, but all the different important aspects to airflow and water flow and valves and the pumps that you use and all the technical stuff that doesn't really fall into the pest control or nutrient course or, or any of the other stuff. So um, definitely ch- something to, uh, to check out. And then um, after that, yeah, I have a whole bunch of different classes that uh, I have slide decks for that I've taught once or twice. And we've th- been thinking about just kind of putting them together uh, and revamping them or updating them. We have a, a really cool one that we never really taught uh, uh, that I did for aquarium keeping. So if you're an aquarium keeper, how you could basically like build a system that would work in your house and how to plumb it together right for your uh, system at home for your aquariums so that you can grow food off of your aquariums. And I think there's a lot of people that want to learn how to do that. And there isn't, it's a resource that's just not being put out there. So that's another course that I have a really cool slide deck on and put a lot of work in. We never taught the class. So 
um, some that I want to, I want to get out there. Um, and then just some other ones, there's a fruit tree one that we put together. I want to, I'd love to redo that and update it. Uh, and just some other stuff that, um, I think it'd be cool. So we'll be kind of putting that out a little bit of time and also working on my book. I've been working a lot on my book. I got, um, uh, we have, uh, over 97 pages now and I don't even have a, a, a tenth of it done. I think <laughs> like there's just so much content. Like I have the whole outline of all the stuff that we're, I'm going to put in the book. And like all the different topics for the different subs area, all that's done. And I'm just chugging, you know, every night I sit down and pound out a couple of topics. And so it's crazy. Wait till you guys see this. It's going to be the most comprehensive book ever written on aquaponics for sure, because uh, uh, it's already longer than I think most aquaponics. <laughs> so uh, anyways, um, really looking forward to that. The other thing it's going to be too is is more like a reference book, right? So you can go and look at the ingredients on a bottle at the store, and then look up each one of them in this book, and and tell if it's fish safe or not, what the levels should be, what you know, what you have to worry about toxicity wise over time. So it's going to be really kind of like a reference book that you can have, um, um, uh, for uh, uh, for that. So, um, yeah, definitely something that you want to check out. Um, I lost my train of thought. Sorry, there's a weird message in chat. No, well, we were just talking about, uh, fuck. Sorry, I took an edible when we started the show. Um, <laughs> I have like 250 milligrams of uh, my tea in me right now. Um, you said there was an, an ad that was anti-aquaponics before our show. <laughs> it's hilarious. Gotta love marketing like that. Man. Um, but yeah, so uh, just kind of working on all that stuff. So, Oh, the book. Yeah, so basically the idea is to have all the different inputs for soil mixes and for the stuff at the store and the bottles and the different bacteria in the bottle, anything that's commonly in the hydro stores um, that you would find, you can look in the book and see if it's okay for your system because we get asked so many different times and so many different things that Marty and I get asked over the years about, hey, is this safe for aquaponics or whatever? It, and we kind of have most of this stuff mapped out and written down now. So that's all in the book as well. And the idea is to kind of have this master reference book that, you know, is super super useful to have for, you know, problem solving or experimenting or tinkering like that, kind of give you a toolbox to, to, to make your own decisions on how to solve things. So you don't have to necessarily follow the way that we do it, but at least you'll have the resources and the data available to you to make the right decisions. Sorry. Stoner moment there for a second. That was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> Have a Guerrero Grow in the house. What's up, Chris? It's always fun. Chris, always was like it green, was it, was What's it those green monster uh, ads? I used to get hit by those every time I'd be watching there's, on this video. There's some guy that's like, aquaponics doesn't work. Here's our video on secrets about hydroponics. Da, 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 da. I can't remember <laughs> his name. It's, and it's some kid too. It's like a twenty-year-old kid that's not smart enough yeah. to have an, not old enough to have an opinion about this yet. You know, yeah. a lot of those lately coming out of college, thinking they know how to do shit. They have no right to be doing. Um, 
it's funny too. Anyways, there's some, some interesting posts lately about people thinking there's different ways to do things, especially nutrients and stuff. And it's just like, yeah, that's cool. If I have like unlimited labor time, you know, foliar spraying nutrients, that's a good example of one. You know, you don't have unlimited in your home, bro. Yeah, that's cool if I have four plants, but that doesn't work at a commercial scale. Like, it's just shit like that where people just don't have the fucking industry experience to know what the hell they're talking about. You see a lot in aquaponics, man. You got all kinds of crazy, um, uh, different um, uh, designs and stuff on uh, aquaponics stuff. What's he talking about? Yeah, yeah, that, that guy, that that guy that uh, we we're talking about. He, he said he toured the world. He took all the all the top aquaponics courses, and like, and it's all wrong and failure. Like the guy's a meathead. Like it's that guy, the, the same guy. Yeah, I know, I know, I know what you're talking about. I just think it's funny that like someone can make that claim. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just, just want to know how much paid for that ad, man. Like. Yeah, that's the other thing, like, that like ad buy, that ad buy, though. Anyways, we actually, on that note, we just got monetization turned back on the channel. We had it. They turned, I managed to pull money out. We've only made, like, 350 bucks in the whole history of the fucking channel. <laughs> but uh, uh, we managed to pull it out, and, you know, buy some, buy some dinner one night. Uh, and then... Um, uh they turned off monetization when they finally like got it approved for like after 30 days they, they killed it so but you can send the the super super chats and and all that fun shit on our channel now so if anyone's you know feeling crazy you, you're welcome to do that but uh um yeah i'm just kind of stoked that we have the option of making like like right now what it was that happened since we since we got it back i think we had nine bucks maybe and the however <laughs> long so you know you don't really make all that much money from from youtube no 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 aquaponics is a cult oh yes yeah yeah that's right that's one of the things yeah <laughs> we were we worship our uh, fishy masters they live in the Great Barrier Reef. That's why all those aquaponic people are from Australia. They don't, they tell you it's in the, it's like first page of the pamphlet. That is, I'm just laughing though, that there was an anti-aquaponic thing before my aquaponic video. That's great. Yeah. God, no, I love they, yeah. I, I for sure, YouTube. for sure they were showing it to me back, back kind of before we knew each other. Yeah. Oh, no, I've seen it, but here's the deal. I've turned off. I don't have, other than a couple of my satellite accounts that I use yeah. for, like, event stuff, I don't see ads anymore. Like, all of my browsers, my phone, I have it yeah. all set up to where there's no ads. Like, it kills the ads that try to load. Like, I, you know, so. It's just weird. Is that the guy that does the piss things? Oh, yeah. He's the one that was pushing the piss ponics, wasn't he? In Boulder? Uh, I think he calls the system the green monster or something. Yeah. 
Anyways, I uh, I pretty pretty hilarious. Obviously trash. Again, again, what? How much is they spend? Are they spending on ad buys? Oh yeah, like. Oh no! Here you go. Here's the best anti-spam policy. There you go. That's that's quite great. Anti-spam policy on on a video that was spam. Um, that's wonderful. Um, there's all kinds of weird weird stuff out there. You know, one of the other ones that's really common that people talk about about aquaponics not working, especially for cannabis is uh, the notorious friendly aquaponics. Uh, they were arrested for growing weed before there was medical programs in Hawaii. And um, part of their plea deal was to discourage other people from growing cannabis and aquaponics. So they had to put out like so many videos or whatever, discouraging people from it. And I remember they stood up, did a whole hit piece on me at one of the aquaponics association, the, the 2013 or 2014 Aquapox Association Conference because the they, they were having a shit fit that me and Sylvia had the, the weed class and uh, they they just could not handle the fact that we were doing it legally and, and they did a whole fucking song and dance about it. Anyways, old Tim Man. But uh you know, they push things like no filtration and uh, you don't need to dose nutrients, which is just idiotic. So whatever. Um, oh, no. Best gem from the friendlies, uh, friendlies people. Uh, worms cause E. coli. Worms actually have bacteria <laughs> in their gut that eliminates E. coli. They're used for mitigating E. coli in compost. Like, just don't talk no, about things you don't know about. Uh, we, <laughs> Marty and I regularly laugh about their newsletter. It is just so bad. So bad. Anyways. Uh, what's that saying? Sometimes it's better to look like a fool than open your mouth and leave no doubt. Right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, definitely a case of it. You see a lot of this too with the nutrient stuff and other things. People just don't know what they're doing. Um, anyways. Um, uh, how can people find you there, uh, Wes? Uh, give me a follow on uh, Instagram, uh, Wesindin, W-E-S-I-N-G-I-N-E. Yeah, that's it, man. I'm in there. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it looks like we got a, well, it looks like Pote and I are talking about starting a new show coming up here in within a week now. So, yeah. Yeah, a week or two, we'll start it up. I got to double check my schedule. All you right, might. sounds good. Great. Well, I have a company coming on the 26th so i need to make sure that uh i don't know we might wait till after that um, to get started right. so um, sounds good to me sounds well, good. we'll see but uh uh maybe we'll do one with them they'll be here anyways i won't i won't ruin who it is yet but but we'll have a cool show on the on the 28th for sure um awesome. what else uh yeah i guess that's it uh you can find me at poem products on cloud youtube itunes Poemponics.com. You know, find all the different classes and stuff that we have. Um, you can find us at the, the Pest Class for the Pest Course uh, and uh, APMJClass.com for the uh, Aquaponic Cannabis Class. All right. Um, thanks for watching. And um, thanks again, Rob Bob, for coming on the show all the way from Australia. Uh, really good guess. All the way from Friday, from tomorrow. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, we're we're daily. Right. All righty. Well, uh, thanks everybody, and we'll catch you guys uh, next week. <laughs>